1: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
2: Well, that was ugly. A Monday edition of the Bash turns into a Tuesday as the Sixers, I should say, a Monday edition of the Sixers, Turns into a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash Live here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. This should be a fun ride today, shall it? Man, that was ugly last night. It was ugly in every possible way. We could start with the ugliest, we can progressively work our way down to less ugly. But where do we start? You tell me. 609-403-0973 on the text board. 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, use the message us button on the mobile app and tell us uh, what was the ugliest part of last night. And obviously, scale of one to 10, how worried are you? I know people who are hitting the Panic button at a high level right now. I will try to make sense of it all. Look, I'm a pretty level-headed guy. I told you yesterday on this very show, we opened up the show yesterday, and I said it, sadly, that Joel Embiid injury has removed any positive vibes I have about a deep playoff run. That might even include in this series. What you saw last night is a microcosm of some of the issues this team had that we just didn't get a chance to see because the Raptors haven't been at full strength. Fred Van Vliet getting hurt actually helped them last night because the size and length of the Toronto Raptors was the concern we had at the beginning. I'm sure I won't see text message guy today tell me, you guys were all afraid of this team. This is why we said it would be a six-game or seven-game series. So I'm sure we won't hear a guy that said, you were right and I was wrong. And I might be wrong about Sixers in six. And I might be wrong about Raptors in six. And we might be wrong about Sixers and, excuse me, Sixers and Six. And we might be wrong about Sixers and Seven. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why you should be on high alert the next couple of games. So if any of you were the people out there that told us we were out of our mind about the Sixers winning this series, oh, how could you guys say That it was good. This this is such a mismatch. It's not been a mismatch. The mismatch has been the Raptors haven't been at full strength. That was a mismatch. When you put the Raptors at full strength, you have a Raptors team that gives the Sixers a lot of problems. You saw the problems last night. Now, I said it on yesterday's show. The problems have been magnified by the fact that Joel Embiid is not healthy, and you saw it on full display last night. That thumb is a major problem. It's a major problem. The Toronto Raptors went right after Joel Embiid in two areas. One, the Sixers scored 88 points last night. Completely unacceptable for an NBA game at home. Completely unacceptable. They managed to score 88 points last night. There's so many things we can list as the problems here, but I'll start with what's on my mind. It's all over the place. So bear with me here. And you guys can get a, be a part of the show. Let it out, man. Let it out. Let me know what's on your mind. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. That's the text board. Use the mobile app. Hit the message us button. Or if you want to give us a call, I'll open up the phone lines today. 609-573-3776. All right. So number one, here's my issues, and this is why you should be concerned. That thumb is a problem. You saw it on display on both offense and defense last night. Number one, they went after Joel Embiid on the defensive end, and Embiid does not want to block shots. That's apparent. He is letting guys get right past him so that he can try to block the shot from the backside with his left hand. How many times did you see him go up with his weak hand, his weak side hand, trying to block shots? How many times did you see him try to swat shots with his left hand and not his right hand? That's number one. They went right after Joel Embiid because they know Embiid doesn't want to use that hand. So they have no rim protector. There was a series where the Raptors scored seven straight, on seven straight possessions. They scored four layups, had a dunk, and got to the free throw line. And all of them were right after, right at Joel Embiid. You tell me any other moment in the entire season where seven straight possessions, the opposing team targeted Joel Embiid. I don't know that it's ever happened in his career. You watched it happen last night. They wanted a 12-0 run to start the second quarter, and it was say la v. Number two, they're going after Joel Embiid on the offensive side. The Raptors' defense, where before the pass would get to Embiid, they were kind of trying to disguise their double. They weren't disguised in no doubles last night. Siakam was floating, and he was coming right after Embiid because they are trying to make Embiid make quick decisions with that hand. And Embiid even admitted that passing the ball is one of the areas where that thumb bothers him. So they want him to catch that ball and have to make. They don't want him to get comfortable with that ball. They want the sting of that ball hitting that thumb, and then they want him to have to deliver that pass as fast as possible. So as soon as he catches the ball, bang, here comes Siakam. Siakam was floating all over the place last night, double teams, and he's the guy that they're floating back and forth. So when he comes hard on the double, they're trying to get Joel Embiid to get rid of the ball. So what happens then? Someone else has to make shots. What have I harped about in this program the last couple of shows? The Sixers hit over 50% of threes in game one. They've been over 40% of threes in game two, three, and four. And last night, it finally caught up to them. Mr. Open shot wasn't falling down. 2 of 7, Harris. Embiid 0 for 4. Maxi 0 for 3. James Harden 2 for 6. Thiebel scared bleepless. So those are two things that have to do with Joel Embiid's hand that are a problem. Now, I will say this. Joel Embiid has to, if he's going to play, he's gutting it out. I get it. He's gutting it out. I'm not being critical of the fact that he's trying to play. But it's his thumb that's hurt. It's not his, his lack of hustle cannot be a problem. And it was a problem last night. The Raptors were simply beating the Sixers up and down the court. They had more giddy-up. They had more hustle. They had more want. They had more passion. They had more energy. They had more of everything on your home court. And I know Doc Rivers is at the top of everyone's list of the problems. Nick Nurse had that team more prepared, absolutely 100%. But at what point do you say to a bunch of guys who are getting paid a lot of money, yo, this is a closeout game at home, where's the inner self-pride? If you need Doc Rivers to pull self-pride out of you, you got a problem. You got a problem when the coach has to be the guy who wants it more than the players. The Sixers had plenty of opportunities to change the, the momentum of that game. You know, in 2019, you go back to the 2019 Raptors-Sixers series, right? And in that game... It was one of those things where it was a battle. The head coaches went back and forth. And the first couple games of the series, Toronto won game one. Oh, man. It looks like the Sixers, they're going to get blown out of this series. Kawhi had 45. You remember that? And they blew the Sixers out. Game two, the Sixers... Win the game. Game three, the Sixers blow the Raptors out. What happened? The Sixers, Brett Brown, made the adjustments. Brett Brown made the adjustments, and the Raptors lost the next two games. Well, then what happened? Nick Nurse made the adjustments to the adjustments. And the Sixers didn't have an answer. Sometimes... You just don't have an answer to the adjustment. The Sixers didn't have an answer to an adjustment in that series because the Sixers did one thing and the Raptors had problems with it. So then they said, if you remember, we're going to put Serge Ibaka and Paul Gas- uh, Mark Gasol on the court at the same time. Let's see what you do to that. And the Sixers didn't have an answer because they didn't have another big guy that could play. So sometimes... You just don't have the answer. And the Sixers, right now, people are talking about this, that, adjustment, go that, do that. It took the Raptors three games to kind of figure out what they're trying to do here. And Stan Van Gundy tweeted this last night. He said, Just because you don't recognize the adjustments, the NBA coach you are criticizing, it is making doesn't mean he isn't making any adjustments and sometimes no matter how many adjustments a coach makes it doesn't change the result because the other team is just better this is an NBA coach telling you hey I can do all I can try to do but if I don't have a good enough players and I'm not saying the Sixers don't have the better players because they have the better players in our mind in our mind they're the better players Joel Embiid's hurt, and James Harden ate the same. That's evident. And I think the big thing here is in our minds, the Sixers have the better players because they have James Harden. And I think we're starting to see James Harden ain't one of the better players. Not in this series. Not anymore. And if James Harden isn't the next best player, you're not clearly the best team. You might have the best player in Joel Embiid, but he's not 100%. And if the second best player is not James Harden, the series is a lot closer than it was three days ago. And once those adjustments have now been kind of figured out, what's your checkmate move? You don't have one. Because they, by accident, had a guy get hurt in Fred Van Vliet. And because Van Vliet got hurt, Nick Nurse was able to make an adjustment that I'm not sure he was going to make. How does Nick Nurse tell Fred Van Vliet, sorry, we can't play you in this series? You're our all-star point guard. I'm not going to play you because it's a better matchup for you on the bench. They kind of ass-backward themselves into him getting hurt, and that allowed Nick Nurse to do, really, what he should have been doing. And he couldn't do because the Raptors had some injury problems. I told you days ago, this series would have been different if Scotty Barnes was healthy, if Gary Trent Jr. were healthy, if Thaddeus Young were healthy. If those three guys were healthy the whole time, would this series be 3-2 to two right now? Probably not. Probably not. 609-403-0973. We're talking about A Sixers team right now that it's on its heels. And as you guys who have listened to me over the years know, I'm a pretty, hey, optimistic guy, pretty laid-back guy. They're in trouble. And I might come back on Friday and be wrong. Maybe they win that game in Toronto. Maybe they win that game in Toronto and we're moving on. But as I said yesterday, that thumb, they ain't getting any deeper than they've been in any of the previous years. That thumb... And think about this. If he injured that thumb in Toronto on that rim, that rim has been one of the most historical rims in the history of the Sixers franchise. It is home of the double quadruple doinker. And now it's the rim that tore the ligament in Joel Embiid's thumb. That thumb has changed this series. Why? Because Embiid now can't dominate like he needs to. And if he doesn't dominate like he needs to, and I'm talking the 35 point in bead, the 38 point in bead, if they don't get that guy, they struggle to win, because James Harden, he's not the James Harden you thought you were getting. So a lot of people talking about this trade and how uh, the Sixers won the. No, you don't win that trade if James Harden's this guy. You might feel better because you're still alive and the other team's gone. Can't both teams lose the trade? Can't both teams look in the mirror and say, we didn't get what we thought we were getting, and the Nets certainly didn't get what they thought they were getting, but the Sixers got a knockoff version of James Harden. This is no offense to T.J. Mack or Marshalls, but when you get a polo at one of those stores, it's not the same polo that you're buying at Neiman Marcus. That polo has been altered a little bit it might have a little something wrong with it yeah you got the James Harden but you got him at one of the stores that's giving you a discounted price and if he's not better than the discount rack James Harden huh, you're going to be the first team to blow a 4-0 series and that will be apropos for this organization it would be exactly the ending of of a season that the Sixers, it's the one thing they haven't had happen to them. They've had everything else happen to them from 2013 to now. Burner accounts, guys forgetting how to shoot, guys not shooting. Acquiring a guy who has decided he doesn't feel like shooting anymore. James Harden took 11 shots last night. 11. Matisse Thybul took six, for God's sakes. Hey, Harden, if... Thibel's going to jack up six. You better rip the ball out of his hand four of those times and say, give me that thing. I'm going to shoot it instead of you, you clown. James Harden shot 11 shots last night. The only guy in the lineup that shoot less than him in the starting lineup was Green. He got outshot by Harris and Bede and Maxey. Can't happen. 609-403-0973. Text board lighting up. What's happening? The way I see it is, I like this guy, says, losing that optimism now, Mike. They look defeated and disinterested last night. Much to criticize about in the text. If Joel isn't 200% in throwing the team on his back, the Sixers are not that good. No help from anyone and forcing that three ball when it wasn't falling all game. If we can't beat them in the paint or both sides, we're going to lose the series. Um, yeah, and I talked about this all week, Crochy. Thanks for the text. I talked about this all week. The Sixers were shooting 40% from three-point range. More than 40%. Every game, they shot over 40% from three. That's blistering. You can't keep that up. So if you can't shoot over 40% from three, they shot 27% last night. And by the way, for all the criticism Danny Green got, I got text last night. I can't stand it. He was four of nine from three. He was the only guy to show up. I get it. What do you want Danny Green to be? Uh, do you want him to be win the MVP of the All-Star game? Somebody has to be a role player. Somebody has to be a role player. And for God's sakes, he shot over 40% from three. And people are texting me about Danny Green. He has too much time. He's playing too much. Get him off the floor. He's the only guy that made a shot last night. Yeah, he missed one. He airballed one. But guess what? He was four of nine. The next guy was two of seven. The priority shouldn't be on Green. The priority shouldn't be on Harris. The priority shouldn't be on Thibault, although he sucked last night. He was so bad. They shouldn't be on Niang. They shouldn't be on Milton or Maxi. They should be squarely on Harden and Embiid. And I'm not ripping Embiid. I'm just saying he's not healthy, and it's apparent, and they're going after him. And if that's going to happen, James Harden, it now goes to you. You were acquired To win the trade. James Harden has to win the trade. He's got to win the trade. And he's not doing it right now. That's where we'll start today. Your text messages on the other side, 609-403-0973.
3: Mike, one of the things things I heard people mention multiple times in the last, you know, uh, 12 hours since the game was... It looked like the Sixers were not running plays and that Doc was getting frustrated, people's perception is, because you know, they're not running the plays that got them to this point. Do you think the Sixers are just not listening to the coach? Do you think they're freelancing too much? Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, There's a lot into that. We could discuss it on the other side. I mean, Joel Embiid had a little moment last night where he called out the coach. He said, it's not up to me. That's on the coach. Why isn't James Harden shooting more? Is the coach not calling plays for Harden? Is he not telling Harden to shoot more? I don't know. We'll get into it. A lot of texts coming in. A lot of texts. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the free 97.3 ESPN mobile app, Message us through the app on your phone. I see you, Bob in Egg Harbor City. Message us through the app. Back with more Sports bash. Your reaction, your text messages coming up. Mark Jackson joins me on the other side from NBC Sports Philadelphia. We'll get his take on what happened last night. And can it be fixed? .com. Now.
4: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
2: Three ESPN. Siakam attacking on the top, gets around Denny Green, into the lane, Barnes, back out to Trent, three-point shot, up and good, and that might do it. A 15-point lead, Toronto moving the ball, and Barnes doing a tremendous job from the paint, kicking it out, and the basket is good. That was Tom McGinnis last night right here on 97.3 ESPN. That Trent three made it 94-79, and the lights seemed to go out on the Sixers. They tried to claw their way back, but it wasn't to be. No energy last night. Just didn't have it. And now the iron is becoming unkind, 27% behind the arc. But there's other issues. Mark Jackson, NBC Sports, Philadelphia pre- and post-game live, set to break it down with us and see what he sees From a former player's perspective. Mark, welcome back, man. How you been? I'm doing outstanding. I've been well. How about you, gentlemen? (laughs) Doing good. Doing good. A lot of panic is settling into the Delaware Valley, as I'm sure you're aware. I want to get your take (laughs) on how much you think Joel's thumb has altered or affected this series.
5: I think it has significant uh, implications on what has happened the last two games. Strong got hit two games ago, and last game I think you seen he was two games ago and last night he was kind of doing things a little differently. I think he's a little hesitant to go down low or be a play in traffic because he was he was worried and concerned about getting a hand hit, um, and I think it, it weighed on him mentally.
2: You see what Toronto did defensively? I mean, it seems that they're trying to take the ball right at him because he seems very apprehensive about going up and blocking shots with that hand. Is that what you're kind of seeing?
5: Um, Yes, I see a lot of things. I think the aspect of his hand being hurt, on a matter of things, like defensively, uh, attempting to go for steals or maybe blocking with that hand, as well as offensively, you know, like we just spoke about. Him not really wanting to go and play in that crowd and because, you know, because of the contact that might happen to his hands. And and for me, that's so important because Joel is the biggest, baddest dude on the face of the earth when it comes to basketball.
2: There's no doubt about it. Uh, he has been a huge force in the series, and now it looks like they are doubling him right away. It's almost like they are trying to make him make quick decisions because once that ball hits his hand, he has kind of said passing is a little bit of an issue He's, and he's catching it, and they're saying, you got to make a decision to get that right back out of your hand. And it looked like it knocked him out of rhythm last night.
5: Absolutely. The way they trap and the way they bring it on the catch is forcing all like, hey, I got to hurry and get rid of it. Because once y'all get close, once y'all get in here, y'all start to reach, y'all start to body, body in me, then it makes it harder for me to pass. So he's kind of not accepting the double team, and that's preventing the space from getting properly aligned. Uh, but you gotta give credit to credit is Nick Nurse did an awesome game plan. Yep. He really has something going with his team. Uh but hopefully sis can find answers.
2: Uh James Harden's role. Forty minutes last night, eleven shots, fifteen points, two of six. Uh you know, they talked about the aggression. Joel said, Hey, that's not me. You gotta talk to the coach here. But if you don't have a better version of James Harden, we might be talking about history here.
5: Yeah, I I think James is due. Um, I think James is due. He's due to have uh, a big game. Uh, I really believe that he's capable of it. Uh, I, I don't think he's given it to us yet, and I don't know what it is, but you know, I think he's trying to let everybody else eat. But the rate this game is going, we need something. We need something from everybody.
2: What has uh, been the change with Maxie? I mean, obviously he had that monster first game. I thought he had a good game, too. Uh, 12 points last night, you know, 5 of 14 What's going on with Maxie? Is it something they're doing? Is it something he's doing? What do you see there?
5: I think it's mostly controlled by Maxie. Uh, a big thing that got to do with that with me is I think Maxie's a little hesitant in that fourth quarter last night. I think he needs to, you know, he's young. He's younger. What I mean by that is he's young enough to, to not worry about the the fallback. If your shot don't go in, you know, you gotta come in and oozing. you you need the green lights. Doc used the phrase fingertips on the backboard, which means how many times have you scored in that lane? And that's what he brings to the table. And I think it's important that he always understands that. When he had the green light, you got to run with that. You can't be second-guessing yourself.
2: We're talking with Mark Jackson, NBC Sports Philadelphia, pre- and post-game live Thursday night. Sadly, i will have to have another first-round edition, uh, but they'll be breaking down a lot here. And I want to, you know, kind of, in 2019, you know, the Raptors won game one, and there was a lot of, oh, no. And then Brett Brown made a couple adjustments, and the Sixers won the next two. And then Nurse went big. He went with Abaca and Gasol, and the Sixers didn't really have another answer because they just didn't have the personnel. Do the Sixers have an adjustment to make to what Nick Nurse did last night? You know, I believe he does. I believe with, that, with them four guys in a certain
5: lineup meeting, Joel, James, Toby, and Maxie, along with the complement to the bench. You don't need a a deep, deep bench. You just need guys to get hit shots. We know George DeYang has proven he can do that consistently. Shake Milton giving you some quality minutes. You know, uh, Reeves giving you energy. I think it's that finding the right combination to play against that big lineup of Toronto. I think that's so, so important. And and I wouldn't be surprised if Doc's talking about that now. How can we do that now? How can we really find what grows at this when Jaw's out the floor, when James' out the floor, what can we do? And I think it's very important that he finds the answer to that because listen, I don't want to say, oh, we can end it here in Philly. No, 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 no. I don't wanna look at that. I want them to end this thing now. If that's the first time, the first opportunity you get after these giving up these two games, you have to go in Toronto and you have to you gotta destroy them you got to end it there. Don't bring it back to Philly. Go ahead and get over with there and
2: get a couple of days rest. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, obviously getting this thing over with is imperative and trying to move on. And then I thought they looked like they were the more prepared team the first couple games because, as Doc said, look, we don't get to practice all year. They had a full week off. They were able to implement and do things. It would be nice if they had that opportunity in getting ready for the next series. And the deeper the series goes, the less practice time you get. And you don't get a lot of practice time during the year.
5: Exactly. You don't. You don't get much practice time. So you need to execute these things and give yourself ample opportunity to recover, rest and recovery and, and, and get ready for the next series. That's so important. And every day you lack the, the ability to close out is every day you take away from getting those things accomplished you um, got to get it done. you got to get it done
2: now. Yeah, Mark, and, you know, Van Vliet did not play last night. It was almost a blessing in disguise. The size that they were able to implement, I thought it gave James a lot of problems.
5: Absolutely. I think it did, too. I think no matter what defender he had on him, I think it was difficult for James to go by people. And even when he did, the longer the finish from the Raptors kind of caused havoc on him, and he was trying to get his shots off off of uh, off a guys that was difficult. I think it's very important that James, he, we, he's due. He's due for a big one and it reminds be nice the next
2: game is, is D. Yeah, and, you know, because it seemed that they were using that little two-guard, you know, pick-and-roll at the top to get James on Van Vliet all the time, and, like, they kept finding that matchup, and they were exploiting it. That matchup was not there, so it kind of took not only him, but Maxie, because they were able to use Maxie in that little pick-and-roll too, so I'm trying to – I'm wondering who they can get, you know, going in this offense with the size that the Raptors are throwing at them. You know, which guy's the guy? Because I saw a lot of Maxi, not a lot, but when he had Birch on him last night, it seemed that he's, you know, they were getting ways to get him the ball with Birch, and that's when he got to the basket. Not enough of that last night.
5: Not enough of that at all. And it was, very, it was very interesting to see because you're right with Van Fleet out. No matter who you switch on, you got somebody six, seven or taller that can move their feet. Van Fleet to me who's a great offensive player, but and he's not a bad defensive player, but he's not the other guy. Yeah. So we run that guard on guard action, it doesn't work. You switch on Siakam. you switch on pressures, you switch on O. G. and Jinobi. Whoever you are, you switching on guys that are long and they can defend. So I think it's very important that the six like we gotta find something different, and that to me is not the key. All
2: right, um close out games. This is a you know, tough to do in any level, but It seems that, you know, Doc has had his issues. The three ones have been talked about. What is it, you know, is this team, they don't – do they have that leader guy that says, guys, this is the game, or is that something that you question? No, I
5: think they have to lead. I think Juwan Bede is a great leader. I think he's proven he's a great leader. Uh, Even through adversity sometimes, I think he's showing that he can step into the play and fulfill that void. I'm not worried about do they have a leader. It to me is about execution. Okay. They have that leader. Joel Embiid is a leader. Tobias Harris is a leader. They have that. You know, so that's not a question that I, I think that's even in, in, in one to entertain. Some other ones are like, hey, can we execute when it, Can we hit shots when they double team? Right. How we defend against that 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 that, that uh, big lineup. Things like that is what
2: we need to focus on. Uh, Mark Jackson on Thursday night, Sixers pre and post game live on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Sadly, they got to talk about another Sixers Raptors game and hurry that. Hopefully, that's the last one and they can move on to round number two. <laughs> we'll be watching him, the coach, and Amy Fadol. That is, uh, what's that, a six o'clock start on Thursday? Uh, six o'clock showtime on thir- uh, Thursday, yeah. All right. Uh, Mark Jackson, we'll be watching, pal. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hopefully next time we're talking about a winner, how we get ready for next season. I hope so. And I hope we're not talking about an off season. Thank you, Mark. Mark Jackson here on the Sports Bash Live, 973 ESPN. Because if we're talking about what's next in the off-season and do you bring back James Harden and all that stuff, that could be an ugly conversation. We'll talk more Sixers coming up later on in the show. Leo Rawtons, who covers the uh, Raptors, he's part of the Raptors television network in the three o'clock hour. Michael Caskey Plomain tonight. When we come back, though, hey, the Phillies bats got hot. What's behind that? Our Phillies insider, Frank Close, joins us with another edition of his mailbag. He answers your Phillies questions right here on the Sports Bash. Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now,
1: back to...
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call,
1: clickgranger.com or just stop by. Ranger for the ones who get it done with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN South Jersey sports leader
2: while you were watching the Sixers vomit all over themselves last night the Phillies were hitting the ball all over see Frank that's what the Phillies need more of They won the game that they played that was only streamed and nobody could see it. And then last night, nobody really watched them because uh, the Sixers were playing at the same time. It seems the Phillies need to go and just get out of the limelight and the spotlight. And their offense just, voila, seems to open up. What's going on, Frank?
6: Not much. Hey, I had both games on.
2: Yeah, you know, everybody does the two thing. But I can only, I mean, even though I'm like a, look, I might be the best multitasker that I know. (laughs) But I can only really keep a focus on one at a time.
6: I say that's true, but I think it balanced out nicely. You know, the, the Phillies were done a little which, sooner. Where, where, do you, some time where do you to go audio?
2: The... Where do you go audio? I'm sorry? Where, which one gets the audio, the Phillies or the Sixers?
6: Actually, kind of both. So you got two <laughs> audios of kind of going like that. at the, I, same had the Sixers, time? I had the Sixers on the TV, my iPad right next to me. And so I kind of heard, I kind of tune in and out, you know. So I'm pretty good at actually tuning out commercials and stuff when I'm watching <laughs> these right. games anyway. So uh. so I, I'm okay doing some of each.
2: All right. A lot of Philly stuff to dive into. Frank's Philly's mailbag is posted at 97.3ESPN.com. Uh, a couple news and notes before we get to that. Bryson Stott sent down, not a big surprise. We hit on this last week. Um, they brought up Roman Quinn. Uh, There was just no room to play, Stott.
6: Yeah, that's the case, too. And the Phillies, let's face it, need a lot of help in center field. Uh, Not getting much out of that position in terms of of hits. And Roman Quinn, you know, I I think this is pretty interesting that the Phillies brought him back. It sounded like they had interest in re-signing him in the offseason. They were willing to extend a minor league contract like the Marlins did. I guess Quinn had thought that he had a better shot of making the Marlins. But what do you know? He's back. Uh, You know, the one thing about Roman Quinn, he tore his Achilles. And I I saw it happen live down in Tampa Bay last season. And, and man, that looked ugly. And, you know, I I really wondered if he could run again, you know, because that's really what his greatest asset has been is his speed. And so that was the big question I had about Roman Quinn. But uh, he did head down to AAA, Lehigh Valley. Um, I asked Pat McCarthy, who's their broadcaster, what he thought about Quinn. Did it look like he was running okay? And he said, yeah, he looked pretty good. And his bat was pretty good at AAA, so uh, we're going to see the uh, return of Roman Quinn really, really soon. So I think that 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 was trying to alleviate some center field as well because, let's face it, they needed help. And that gives Matt Verling the ability to be a backup infielder.
2: Uh, William has a question about Stott. He says, why are the Phillies been on playing him in multiple positions? Player development director said that Stott will mainly play shortstop in AAA, uh, but they will make sure he gets playing time at other positions. He mentions Kingery, and he says, we all know how that worked out. So what is the Phillies' plan with Stott? Is he a super utility guy, or is he their shortstop of the future?
6: Well, honestly, I, I think the comparisons to Scott Kingery aren't necessarily fair. In that, Scott Kingery did not ever have the type of ceiling that people expected of Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott's a first-round pick. Phillies, Phillies drafted him with a higher profile than kingery who was a second round pick again he's still a decent prospect but kingery was never thought to be what stop was going to be now the, the difference between the two is when kingery came up there was a spot on the team for kingery because the phillies were not trying to win and when you're not trying to win per se i mean they were and they weren't right so kingery could get a lot of it bats now granted a lot of them came at shortstop if you look at his career numbers almost three times at shortstop compared to second base where he was drafted and a bunch of games in center field. But I feel like Scott Kingery had a big enough sample size to take a job somewhere. And who knows, maybe he could be a utility player for somebody someday. But but Stott, he's still profiled to be a starting major league infielder. In terms of the position, I think the Phillies would really like it if he could be their shortstop next year. The Phillies are going to lose Didi Gregorius and Gene Segura to free agency. And I think of the two positions, it would be a lot easier to find a second baseman this offseason than it will be to find a shortstop. So they're going to play him at shortstop at AAA, let him play every day, let him hit every day. And they're really investing in him in the long term. And so the way to, to do that is not to put him on a team like this current team, which is supposed to make the playoffs. Where you need to play Alec Boehm and you need to play Johan Camargo because they're hitting, right? That's how this game works when you're trying to win. The guys that are hitting, they're the ones that are going to get it. I don't think the small sample size Stott had is going to deter him in any way. He still made the team out of spring training on merit. He can go down to AAA knowing that, and he'll get to he'll get to swing the bat. And you know what? If, if, the reason why they might they might give him looks at other positions because if somebody gets hurt, and this happens every year, right? Wouldn't it be great to have somebody that you could plug in at second base, yeah. third base, or shortstop at some point this season?
2: Well, yeah, he kind of got squeezed by Camargo, who I guess, you know, I mean, it's nice that he's been hitting, um, but they started to play him every day in place of DD. That could have been a spot where they gave Stott the opportunity to show, hey, we're going to give you every day playing time. Go out there and don't worry about playing other positions. So do you, would you have rather seen Stott get that time or Camargo?
6: I don't think I would rather stop per se. You know, I think they started putting in Camargo against the tough lefties that are out there and having a left side of him and Boehm. Um, they've shown that they've improved upon the defense. You know, we, we've talked about the three-hour day that Boehm had before, but, but Bohm has looked a lot better since he sort of had that come-to-Jesus moment and come-to-Philadelphia-fans moment uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I probably would have played Camargo. You're getting a little bit more sure of defense as well. And if he's hitting, um, you know, Didi's still in the equation. He was out a few days with, you know, banked up, of course. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would have probably gone Camargo um, in that situation myself. Again, it's, it's, it's where you're at as a team. Are you trying to win? And, of course, the Phillies were scuffling for a little while there. So they really need these wins. And I think the best thing to do in that situation is play, play your hot hands, which were Camargo and boom.
2: Yeah, by the way, they've got uh, the Rockies tonight, and uh, it's uh, Eflin on the mound for the Phillies. The Phillies already five and a half games out of first place, Frank, behind the Mets, who they play in the next. And Greg is already talking about them being out of playoff contention and the trade deadline. What should fans expect? I mean, is it too early to start thinking that way? Or is it five and a half out and seeing uh, the Mets and seeing the way the Phillies are put together, are you starting to uh, wonder what that trade deadline is going to look like?
6: Well, I just want to tell our loyal listener and tweeter Greg, relax. <laughs> Love you, Greg. But this is this is way too soon. I mean, after this series, the Phillies will play twenty games, seven of them against the Rockies, which is really weird schedule, by the way. Uh but but you know what, the Phillies, if you look at what what really was kind of making the Phillies scuffle these last few weeks, and a lot of it comes down to that starting rotation. And we knew going into the season. Zach Wheeler did not pitch in the Grapefruit League. He needed some starts to sort of gear up into season form. Ranger Suarez was stuck at an airport hotel in Colombia for a few weeks. He didn't really get to have his full complement to starts. And Zach Eflin, we were thinking, was going to begin the season on the IL. So he's still kind of working back from that knee surgery. So having that big hole there uh, where you have to fill some of those middle innings is where affiliates perhaps fell behind in a lot of these games. And, and, and really all three of them, the results recently are encouraging. Even if the, the, the stat line wasn't great on Wheeler last time in the end, he's getting his velocity back. He's looking like he's starting to come into form. That will carry forward in a, in a, in a better way. And even Aaron Nola, who was the one that was supposed to be the healthy one coming out of uh, spring training, it's not, it's not out of the question that he himself needed some more prep heading into the season. And so he seems to be looking a lot better the last couple starts as well. Kyle Gibson's been what you thought Kyle Gibson was going to be. So the Phillies are in a, in a good place to go forward from here. And one thing that I, I just looked up, which would surprise a lot of fans talking about the offense, Phillies are sixth in Major League Baseball and batting average right now, which which, which seems unbelievable because there, it hasn't felt like there's been offense. But, but you know what? All teams are dealing with the short spring training. All teams are trying to get their pitchers together. All teams... Are, are trying to to get comfortable at the plate so a lot of these things we're seeing from the Phillies are, are actually better than most of the pack in terms of offense I think they'll come around and uh yeah last night was a lopsided score by the way it's really funny because if you're watching the Sixers and kind of following the uh the game ticker play by play that you just see uh Kyle Schwabers doubles <laughs> two runs uh two runs driven in if you saw the play the ball dropped in the middle of the the two outfielders yeah. but but you know, when you when you hit the ball, breaks like that happen, right? So uh, the error by the third baseman McMahon uh, yesterday, same thing. Uh, you know, again, get your bat on the ball. Stuff is going to happen. It seems to be coming together. You know, the Phillies also didn't have a day off for a long time. It feels like so. You just after that rush spring training, you are just thrown in one day off. You have to travel on that day off. It, it hasn't been the most comfortable starts, but they're seven and ten. They're not one and sixteen. You know there, there's there's lots of time to turn this around, and while the, the Phillies are playing the Rockies a whole lot, the Mets got a lot of the Nationals. The Phillies will get their opportunity to face the Nationals too, so I think this will even out soon. And the Braves Braves are only one win better, so I would I, I would not worry about this team yet. And Greg, if you want to ask me in July. What they should do at the trade deadline. Happy to tell you that.
2: By the way, uh, Rockies were up two nothing in that game. The Phillies got back uh, and ended up winning the game eight to two. For those of you who didn't see the Phillies game, they were down two quick home runs against Kyle Gibson, uh, who kind of settled in after that. He gave up three hits. Uh, he's pitched you know pretty well in that spot. Noel had a great game on Sunday night. Hopefully, Wheeler uh, ends up you know coming back with another back to back strong start with that Phillies you know uh, rotation can kind of stabilize itself. The bullpen hasn't been, you know, a disaster yet. And if they can get some consistent offense, you would think they should start to win some of these series. They haven't won a series yet since the opening series.
6: Yeah. It's it's hard to, hard to believe that. Right. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're kind of coming together. At least they're not getting swept. Right. So there's something there. And a couple of those games could have gone the other way. If, if things had worked out better, if they could have got another couple extra innings out of their starters. Yeah, the bullpen's been decent, so real, there's really no complaints there.
2: Real quick, thirty seconds. Uh, what do you think is Harper's uh, elbow something to be worried about? I mean, with the DH, I guess he can keep playing, but you know,
6: hey, he homered last night. It seems like he can hit. Is if he can hit without pain, be thankful for the for the DH. Otherwise, he probably would be on the IL if this was last year. Yeah. To be honest. All right, Frank Close,
2: 97.3 ESPN.com, at Frank Close. His mailbag appears on our website every Tuesday. You can always send him Phillies questions at Frank Close with a K. Phillies back in action tonight as they take on the Colorado Rockies in game two. Is it a four-game set they're playing? the Four-game
6: set. They finish finish on Thursday at 1 p.m. Yep.
2: All right, uh, so that's tonight. I like these 6.45 start times. Uh, Marquez and Eflin is your pitching matchup at Citizens Bank Park. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Mike. All right, that's Frank Close, our Phillies insider from 97.3 ESPN.com. And, of course, he'll be back uh, with Phillies news that you can use this week here on the Sports Bash. Eflin, by the way, 0-1, 527 ERA. No lineup out yet. I imagine they're facing a righty. They're going to get one change in the lineup, and I would think that is... Herrera playing center field over Veerling. That would probably be, and everything else, will probably keep the same, I would imagine. So we'll uh, check out the lineup when we get it. Herrera, I would imagine, hitting ninth for Veerling. That might be the only change in the lineup for the Phillies tonight. All right, when we come back, back to the Sixers, we'll go to Canada, Leo Routens. He's part of the Raptors television broadcast. We'll get a Toronto point of view coming up next here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Get it in the Apple store or Google play.
1: This is the sports bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now live inside the Matt black Kia studios. Here's Mike Gill. Three
2: o'clock sports bash, 97.3 ESPN. Sixers and Raptors Thursday night. Game six. They're going to get another game in Toronto. Not predicted earlier in the series. My prediction was Sixers and six. feel like I might be wrong. We'll find out. What number on the panic level should Sixer fans be set at? We'll ask Leo Routins from the Raptors television Team, because obviously the series has shifted. Leo is coming back to Toronto. If you were telling Sixers fans, uh, what kind of uh, high alert they should be on on a scale of one to ten, what number would you tell them they should be at right now?
7: Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd say it's it, it's in the uh, eight, nine, ten range. I'd be pretty concerned. Uh, you know, the Raptors are playing really, really well right now. Uh, they kind of figured out a few things. Um, you know, early on that uh, weren't working for them. Uh, some of the guys that struggled early are not struggling now. And and, and it's kind of the, the big question with Philadelphia is always, you know, or not necessarily Philadelphia, but two players for Philadelphia in their history, you know, Joel Embiid and, and James Harden, you know, what are you going to do in the postseason? How are you going to respond? And uh, I think that makes a lot of Philly fans nervous. And Uh,
2: It creates a
7: different dynamic as the series shifts.
2: You mentioned the Raptors are playing really well right now. They were down 3-0. What was the change? What is something that has shifted this series that you can notice to say that's what has really kind of shifted this series momentum all of a sudden?
7: Well, you know, first, a few things. Individually, Pascal Siakam, number one. I mean, he's playing, I said before the series started that he's got to be the MVP of the series, not just for the Raptors, but he's got to be the MVP of the series. The last two games, he's playing like that. And that's the way he finished the second half of the season. That's the way he was playing. So that that's number one. Number two, you know, Scotty Barnes, believe it or not, as a rookie, is that important to this team. So when he went down in game one, you know, that really was devastating for this, to the, to this squad. So having him back and being able to play the way he can play has made a huge difference. And then as a team, you know, the, the, first, the first three games, there was a, a softness. There was a, they weren't playing as aggressive. There wasn't a consistent rhythm at the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, if you change your rhythm, you come out hard, then you go soft, then you go hard, calls go against you, and you know then it, you know, everybody starts complaining and worrying about calls as opposed to just playing hard on every possession. And when you do that, I'm a firm believer you get the calls. And the last two games, the Raptors have played hard on every defensive possession. Uh, their rotations are great. Uh, so now the role players for the Sixers, they're not getting the wide-open looks that they got early in the series. Uh, everything's changed now. Everything's challenged. Everything's more difficult. Uh, the, you know, the rotations and, the, and uh, attacking mb it's coming from all over the place, and it's coming quick. Yeah, so uh, those, those, those factors have, have turned the series, in my
2: opinion. You're right about that. Um... I, this isn't a knock at Van Vliet, but him not being there last night almost seemed to be a blessing in disguise for this particular matchup because the size seemingly gave Harden a lot of issues. And, it you know, the Sixers seemed to be, you know, getting a lot of switches. And Van Vliet, who's a good defensive player but doesn't have the height, that length and size seemed to be a problem. Would you concur?
7: Well, you know, here's here's the thing. that During the season – uh, you know, Fred is, a, is one of the top point guard defenders, and he's never had an issue. And the Raptors have been a switching, uh, rotating team all season long. And Fred's Fred's very capable of handling bigger size matchups. The problem is he well, he hasn't been healthy coming down the stretch. His knee has been an issue, and then he, he's got the hip flexor. So you could tell. him, and he was having a hard time staying in front of anybody. Yeah. And and that's not that's not Fred. That's health. So. You know, in light of that, you know the Raptors went, have have gone bigger. And if you even go back to you know game uh, you know the, game three in Toronto, or I should say game four in Toronto, they went big. Uh, even even uh, uh, Gary Gary Trent Jr. was having a really good game. He was sitting on a bench for a significant time in the fourth quarter because the Raptors just went huge, and you know that that created a lot of problems for Philadelphia. Uh, and again, they they've, they've, they've kind of gone with that bigger lineup. Uh, in a lot of different times. And again, you could do more of that with Scotty Barnes in the mix. You can't do it as much without Scotty Barnes. Uh, but with him, because he can literally guard anybody on the floor, it changes a lot. So, uh, you know, Fred not being there uh, is not something you want, but uh, the Raptors have done a great job of compensating uh, and using their size, uh, you know, to, to take advantage of whatever they can.
2: In your mind, Leo, the effect of that thumb for Embiid. How has that changed this series? It seems that they they are not fearful of taking the ball to the basket because it seems like they understand that he does not want to use that hand to, to poke or steal or block and they're making him make quick decisions on offense. So how much has that thumb altered or changed this series?
7: Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, hey, the decisions been made. You're playing, right? Yep. And you're going to have surgery at the end of the season. So in my opinion you play. Uh I've been there. I I've have have I if you saw my thumb on my shooting hand, it's not pretty. I had that same kind of situation and I go okay, I'm playing. So uh, uh, but here's the difference. Joel Embiid is a is a monster, a physical monster on the floor. So if he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to get every rebound. I'm going to set great screens. I'm going to I'm going to dominate anything around the basket. Hey, your hand's going to get hit. Your hand's going to hurt, but you play. Hey, it may affect your shooting to some degree. Uh, okay, so he just... here. Here's the question I have. I, I noticed him favoring his hand when he missed some jumpers. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice him favoring his hand when he was dunking with that same hand and hitting the rim. Right. So, I, 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 you call me crazy, but I'm old school. If you can play, you play. If you can't play, you don't play. Oh, yeah, no. And, uh, you're right about that. And, and so... It, it can have an effect at the same time he's physically that that imposing where he can overcome the effect of the hand, in my opinion. Uh, and, and I didn't see that from him, uh, you know, in, in the last game. And, and remember, even in a game where he knocked down the game winner, this hand injury just didn't happen. I mean, he's had it. So uh, this is something that, that it was before that game. So if he could do what he did then, there's no reason he can't do it now. So psychologically, you got to you got to play through with it. In my opinion,
2: Leo, you've been uh, a part of the Raptors broadcast team for a while, so you've seen a lot of James Harden over the years. Are you seeing a similar James Harden or a deteriorated version?
7: Yeah, I you know I, I see as, you know kind of missing a you know the steps step slow, uh, not as confident in a lot of in a lot of situations. I think a lot of that is physical, right? Um, I there's a you know you, sometimes players play a dangerous game and you know he's he's not in my opinion taking care of his body really well. Uh he's had situations where he's you know getting out of Houston, you know, you come in you're out of shape, you're not, you're not ready to play and you know you you're trying to impose your will but your body's taking a hit. And if you look at the you look at the really good players in a league that are older, that have been around a while they're lean. They're cut. They're, they've done a great job of taking care of their bodies because they need every ounce of uh, physicality they can get out of it. And he, I think he's played a dangerous game with his body, and I think it's catching up. Uh, you've got the nagging injuries. Uh, you know, when you gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, uh, and, try to, and, and still try to play, get in shape, uh, it creates problems for your body. And I think, I think there's some, some negative effects of that, uh, as well as just naturally... As you get older, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lose a little bit here and there. So I think he's dealing with, with you know, a bit of both. Uh, but, you know, he's still so dangerous, right? I mean, this guy, he gets it going. He's, still, he's got that old man strength uh, against young, uh, you know, younger players or, or same size players that he can use. Uh, and you never know when he gets, just gets rolling and starts knocking shots down. So um, despite what we can see as are some shortcomings, you know with a guy like that, that can turn really quick.
2: Game uh, six on Thursday night, and, of course, uh, Sixers lead three games to two. There's never been a team to come back 4-0. But do you feel the, Do you feel like you know the Sixers, this is a team, you know, they went through all the stuff they've done. Always seems like something happens. You were a part of that organization. You know what the fans are like here. Do you feel that the pressure is certainly mounting on them, coupled with Doc's record in these moments? Can you sense that? that they are feeling it. Uh, I, can
7: sense the, I can sense the pressure. I could sense it when the series started. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it, it took off the right way for them. But, you know, even in the game yesterday, I mean, you're talking about fans are booing in the first quarter, you know? I mean, come on, you're up 3-1 and you're booing in the first quarter. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of anxiety uh, and, and angst with the fans right now because of, because of history, right? And, uh, and, and I think that they're, they're nervous, and, I, and I, I could see it in the players' eyes. I mean, the players, when the Raptors were not letting them get back, no matter what they did on their run, you could see they were getting more and more anxious on the floor. Uh, you know, some guys did not want to shoot. Uh, some guys weren't comfortable. They were giving up shots. Um, and that's, that's, that's a sign that, you know, it's kind of getting to you. So uh, it'll, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. The crowd's going to be nuts in Toronto on Thursday. Uh, these guys believe they can win, um, and and then if it goes back to a potentially a game seven in, in Philadelphia, uh, that's going to be a, a, an enormous amount of pressure for the Sixers uh, and for the Raptors. Hey, everybody thought you were done, you know, <laughs> two games ago, so three games ago. So uh, all you got to do is go out and play. So that it's uh, two different levels of of pressure happening uh, from both of these clubs here.
2: And, of course, the Sixers lost in a Game 7 on their home floor last year. So to get that Game 7 back at home doesn't necessarily make you feel any different or better. Uh, This one is going to be very interesting. Leo Routens, who uh, is a part of the TV broadcast for the Toronto Raptors, they'll have the game Thursday night. We'll have it down here, of course, game number 6, 3 2 as the series goes back to Toronto. Leo, thanks so much. All right, my pleasure. Have a great one. All right, uh, hopefully, hopefully, we don't have to talk to Leo about a game number seven, but we shall see. As you heard, Leo Routins had a little bit of pep in his step. He had a little bit of confidence in his voice, not so much with uh, the conversations we've been having with our listeners. And fans, 609-403-0973 is the text board. 609-403-0973. Some interesting takeaways from that. He said, one, he said that he would have the level of panic, the level of concern, if you were a Sixer fan, 8, 9, or 10- 8, 9, or 10, he's saying. So he's basically telling you from the opposing perspective, not like, hey, you know, we still need to win two more games, you know, don't hit the panic button just yet. 8, 9, or 10, he also made the comment of they were booing that team after the first quarter last night. Like, hey, you're up three games to one in the series. Don't you get any level of like, <laughs> hey, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt after one quarter, so he's saying you can see it in those players' eyes that they can feel the enormous amount of pressure that is basically always hovering over this organization and teams in this city. And it's not its not to say that you're not well within your rights to do that and, hey, if they can't handle it, then get rid of them. You know, there's only so many human beings that can take that level. And if you can't find them, you're never going to win. You know, Kevin Durant doesn't want your nonsense. You take Kevin Durant on your team, though. And to hear that from Leo, he's a guy who played in this town. And he mentioned it. You could see it in their eyes. The enormous amount of pressure that they feel. That is a... Very powerful statement, if you ask me, about where why this series is where it is right now. Closing the series out, what did Charles Barkley say last night? I want to play that clip for you guys. What did Charles Barkley say last night? I thought it was a very, very telling and, I don't want to say powerful statement, but listen to what Charles Barkley has to say about what he thinks about where this series is at this point
8: okay it's an urgency it, it, time you get a chance to close the game out there's two types of close out one on the road and one at home when you got a chance to close out at home you better freaking do it because what's happening now what i'm gonna tell you Shaq agrees with me they're not gonna win game six in toronto but let me tell you something. By the time they get to Game 7, them spinkers going to be so tight. Because oh, the spinkers are back out. I'm telling you.
2: They ain't going to win in Toronto. And he said by the time they get back to Philadelphia, you heard it. The amount of pressure that is going to be on this team in a Game 7 situation in their home building for the second straight year. Can you imagine not only the pressure but what will happen if they lose that game the ripple effect of losing two straight games sevens on your home court insurmountable pressure leo routens here on the sports bash hope you enjoy that conversation what's your takeaway
3: one of my biggest takeaways mike is you know you we just heard from two guys today who both played in the nba Mark Jackson in the first hour. Leo Routins, in the second hour. Two men who also played in Philadelphia in a Sixers uniform. They both understand that this city will not accept what they have seen these last two games. And if the Sixers players are incapable of doing their job, then you know what? Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Because... Joel Embiid had an MVP caliber season. You traded away a guy who refused to play for you for a former league MVP. You went out of your way to keep a a guy who's one of the 20 best young players in this league, Tyrese Maxey, on your roster. You brought in Doc Rivers, who's won a championship, a guy in Daryl Morey to be the president of basketball operations, who was within basically a, a half of getting the Rockets to the NBA Finals, a team that he built from scratch, basically. You brought all these people in here, and if all of these people are incapable of winning this series, then you know what? It's just not meant to be, though. maybe, Maybe all of our expectations are just haywire because the only reason why you're losing this series to me at this point, Mike, is because you have had two straight games where you are playing like a bunch of YMCA players with turnovers. There's really no other explanation for why this team isn't winning these games. This team has all the talent, all the ammunition, all the resume to win this series. And yet you're losing a series because you're playing sloppy basketball. See, I don't know
2: if I agree with that. We assume they have the resumes. Why? Based on past performance. Mm Mm-hmm. Your past performance doesn't get you through in the moment. That's why sports are great. That's why sports are sports. Your past resume, it's a what have you done for me now game. James Harden's resume is great. But when you hand him that resume, there's dust on it. Just because (laughs) he did what he did doesn't mean he can do what he did.
3: But that resume is a sign to say that you should play better than you're playing.
2: Yeah, but we assume because he once played at one level that he can still play at that level. The resume says what he did, but your age and what Leo Routens just said, he's a step slow. He's not confident. He's not in physical condition. He doesn't take care of himself. So 32-year-old James Harden is not 27-year-old James Harden. But in our minds as sports fans, he's James Harden. So that means he's like you bottle James Harden up and any player. And you take that bottle and open it up and he's the same no matter where and when you open it. Well, players get better. Some get worse. Some work at their craft. Others don't. Some go out and party. Others go home and read a book. James Harden has lived a tough life, man. And I'm talking about not a tough life. He's made a lot of money. But it's no secret, when he goes to Toronto, you know what they're known for up there. He's probably checking out the gentlemen's clubs. So James Harden 32 is not the same as James Harden 29. So in our mind, we're getting James Harden 29. Why isn't he playing that like James Harden? Well, he ain't that guy no
3: more. Sure, but what I'm saying is, is that it's the whole picture. It's, you know, to steal the Jason Kelsey, it's the whole team, you know. It's the idea that you have all of these players who are not play- – like you mentioned it over in the first hour, Mike. The only guy that felt like he was doing his job at times last night was Danny Green. Danny freaking Green. Like, Joel, I understand you got a messed up thumb. But you got to be a little smarter than that. You can't have that many turnovers. Between Harden and Embiid, they had, what, nine turnovers combined last night of the team's 16? They have had two straight games now where your two-star players have been playing fumbleitis with the basketball. You don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world to understand if you keep having turnovers, you're going to have a trouble winning the game.
2: Well, listen, the sloppiness with the ball is unacceptable, no matter how good or bad you are. You should have to take care of the basketball better. In Game 1... Look, we talked about this series as if the Sixers were head and shoulders better. And I was never buying into the fact that they were head and shoulders better. Right. That's that's something you and I agreed on. Right. The first game of the series, the Sixers won that game by 20, right?
3: Right. And part of that was because Scotty Barnes got injured.
2: They lost Barnes. Barnes played most of that game. But in game one, the Sixers won by 20. But...
3: And they shot the lights out.
2: They shot over 50% from three, and they only turned the ball over three times. That is, you cannot keep up shooting 50% from three and turning the ball over three times. So game one, to me, was an outlier. Okay? I can't take game one and say the Sixers were 20 points better than the Raptors and that they're clearly the better team. No. Mm Mm-hmm. You played very well on – we always – and, like, I don't fall into this, but people say, you lose by 25 to the Brooklyn Nets. You should be embarrassed. No, you – on that one day, you had a bad day. Right. Every day is a different day. And on that day, the Sixers were 20 points better than the Raptors. In game two, when they beat the Raptors, no Scotty Barnes. Big, huge difference. Huge difference in that game. Gary Trent played 10 minutes in that game. I said it the other day. Those guys account for 33 points a game for that team. 33. Not to mention the size and length they bring on defense. People are acting like, oh, the Sixers are better. Uh, he, no, Gary Trent's not a big deal. But Scotty Barnes isn't a big deal. Then you don't watch the Raptors play. Because Barnes is a player. He's a rookie of the year, by the way. Mm-hmm. In a very good rookie class. And Gary Trent changes the offense of outlook for them. He gives them a floor spacer. No, he's not an all-star, but he can shoot the ball. And that allows more spacing for the Siakam's to do. Siakam was having such problems. Why? They didn't have anybody to space the floor. And now they get... So in game two, the Sixers shoot the ball 47% from three. 47% unsustainable, not sustainable, 50%, 47%. Fast forward out of game three in which the Sixers go to Toronto and it's an ugly game that they are never leading in. It takes a Joel Embiid buzzer beater in overtime to win. And you had to get a buzzer beater in overtime to beat them. No Scotty Barnes. No Thad Young. Young played, I think, six minutes in that game. But what did you see? Gary Trent's back, and he got 24 points for them. Now we have a guy who helps space the floor, and that changes our offense a little bit. But what happened with the Sixers? They shot 42% from three. 42! Unsustainable! And now we get to game number four, and it's 3-0... And you're shooting the lights out 40%, 40%, 40% over every single time. And the next thing you know, you still shoot 40%. But here's the difference you shot 40% from three, but they're at full strength now. And that changed the dynamics because now you have Van Vliet, excuse me, Gary Trent spacing the floor. Siakam has more space to roam. He's hitting that little mid ranger getting his game back into action. Now you have Scotty Barnes. He, conversely, is playing defense. The lanes aren't there for Maxi anymore. Maxi becomes somewhat of a non-factor. And now you see how the ebbs and flows of this series. So last night's game is a microcosm of the adjustments that each team makes, but also the personnel differences that Toronto has now evolved to they didn't have certain guys so this this series has kept kind of changing a little bit as they keep getting players back and it's not that they have the better team i don't they might have the better team they don't have the better player and we always associate the better player the best player wins not necessarily the best player wins but when you have the best player it typically means you're going to have the best team a lot of times
3: Usually, yes, but if the better team doesn't mean the better collection of talent. It means the better team that works the best together. Right,
2: and here's the thing. We just think James Harden is better because he's always been better. But you know what? Young players, at some point, they pass over. And some of the younger players, like Jason Tatum, he's now better than certain guys. Two, three years ago, he wasn't. He was a very good young player, but now he's, what, five, six years into the league. He's now better than those guys. And I think James Harden is now on the back end where he's not the second best player anymore on this court. In the beginning of the series, we said, he's it's Joel Embiid and James Harden, the first two guys you're going to take. I don't know that's the case anymore.
3: Well, I had told you before the season series started, Mike, that my opinion— If James Harden plays to the level that we know he can play at, not the MVP back in 2018, I mean the level that we've seen him do this year, he's the second-best player in the series. If he doesn't play at that level, then Siakam's the second-best player. Put it this way.
2: If James Harden is just a low-level all-star type of player, guy, yeah, he's an all-star like a Fred Van Vliet, that's not good enough.
3: No. And by play better than that.
2: To win the championship, this isn't about beating the Raptors or beating the Heat. To win the championship, James Harden needs to be an MVP level player. He
3: needs to be a top 20 player
2: in the league. Has to be a top 20. Get a bucket when I need a bucket. My team's struggling. I need a bucket. I need to get to the basket. I need a hoop. I need to get to the line. He's not that guy right now. And I got I'll add this to the mix. The player that I'm seeing in these playoffs, he's been good. I'm not paying him $250 million. Just not doing it. And you might have to start from scratch. But that's why I hired Darren Morey, Because you got to figure out how to get me out of this mess. Because the guy that you traded for, and I'm not knocking you, because I know Simmons put you in a crappy situation. But you took a shot with your guy, and he's not the same guy you thought he was. You better not pay him $250 million. You talk him down... And you put the video on and say, James, you're not the same player, man. I can't give you that money. I'm sorry. You know I love you? I brought you here. You're not the same guy. Look at the video and tell me you're the same guy. Look at the production. You're not the same guy. And that's why they're in this situation. Doesn't mean they lose the series, but it's put them in a situation where the pressure is now squarely on Doc Rivers and the 76ers. More sports bash on the way.
4: Now. on 97.3 ESPN. 334 Sports
2: Bash. A lot of people texting. A lot of people reacting. Text boards open 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. We'll open up the phone lines 609-573-3776-609. 573-3776. 573-3776. Hey, don't forget we're live Thursday. Slack Tide Brewery invited to everybody to come on out and see the show live. We're going to send someone to an Eagles road game this year. We got all our qualifiers. Head to our website, 973 esbncom for more information on the show. By the way, Sixers game seven on Thursday will be heard on our sister station, Rock 1041. we We'll have the draft. On 97.3, Sixers Raptors we will be on our sister station, Rock 104.1, 7 o'clock, 609-573-3776. I definitely want to hear from the people today, if you're out there and you've got a comment or question or you just want to kind of get it off your chest, there's a lot you could be angry about right now. And I'll tell you what, somebody just texted in, Maury has his work cut out for him in this offseason, that's for sure. You ain't kidding, man. I wouldn't want to be Daryl Morey right now. I don't care if I get out of this series. Everything's looming over my head. What do I do with Harden? Is Doc Rivers the right coach for this team? And I've been saying this for a while. Joel Embiid is this kind of era's version of what the Sixers had going on with Allen Iverson. And you might say, wait, what? They're not the same players. Allen Iverson was such a uniquely talented player They could never figure out who to play with him. They just could not find the right pairing. Glenn Robinson and Chris Webber and Keith Van Horn and Tim Thomas. They just kept trying to throw somebody else next to him. They could never find the right second player for Iverson. The Sixers cannot figure out what the right player is next to Joel Embiid. And we talked about this before. There is no other Embiid in the league. So how do you coach a player that there's nobody else like him in the league? What play or what style of play does a coach have for a unicorn? 609-573-3776. And think about this. If you lose with James Harden, Ben Simmons says, I got you further than James Harden could. Glenn and EHT are on 97.3. What's going on, Glenn?
8: Mike, how you
7: doing?
2: I'm always good. That's what's up. Yeah, the Sixers
8: are in a little bit of trouble because of Joel Embiid's injury. But anybody who thought they were getting Houston Harden, to me, that's where that's the breakdown in communication. You're just not getting that guy who was the only guy there for the most part and had full autonomy to do whatever he wanted to do. Now he's clearly the number two guy. We don't know how he's going to accept you know how he's going to transition to that role well, to be fair, like-
2: to be fair, Glenn, he knew coming here he wanted to come here, so he had to oh. know what kind of role he was getting into
8: that's that goes without saying still the production's just not there, not for the kind of money he's making he's only you know in contract only is he a superstar I mean, his production's just not there now, and I was like you said about. It's all about right now. I mean, for people to call Durant, and every time they talk about him, talk about how he's the greatest scorer of all time, and all the accolades to get him every time he talks. This playoffs, he wasn't. No, he was terrible. I think that needs to. Oh my god! And then I want to get with Ben Simmons too, with you too. I mean, Ben Simmons. I don't even know if I have words. You know my whole opinion of Ben Simmons on a whole. I mean, all guys play defense. And the more athletic you are, the more you apply yourself, the better defender you'll be. I mean, they're all athletic. So you know what, you wait, hold on a second. I
2: wonder that all the time, yeah. okay? These guys are in the NBA, which means they're the best athletes all the time. How do you not have, when in the biggest of big moments, have the inner pride to play defense one-on-one? Like, it's amazing to me that you're an NBA player and – when you want to, not make a defensive stand. Now, a guy might hit a tough shot, and that's hitting a tough shot. But it's like, this guy's not a good defender. If I want to be a good defender, I can be one in the moment if I want to. It's so many times these guys just don't want to. It's crazy to me.
8: No doubt it's an effort thing. It's a total effort thing. And, the, you know, the guys who are athletic can give more effort to it. Like your boy Ben Simmons, because his offensive game is garbage, he made it look as though he was some kind of defensive, uh, you know, it's not like he steps on the floor and teams can't score. Let's don't get it like that. You know what I mean? That's what I think people are under the misomer.
2: huh? Of course gonna- not. No, I mean, he definitely <laughs> makes it you work harder to get your bucket, and that's the whole thing. If I'm making you work harder, the whole point is, if I'm making you work harder, then somewhere you might – be exerting more energy. You, you're not going to have as much energy later in the game, or maybe you don't play as tough defense because you're working so hard to get buckets on the other end of the floor. You know, there's a lot that goes into the whole situation. Like, put it this way. I know what your feelings about Ben. You don't know mind. That Brooklyn team, if they had him playing defense, this series might have been different because they sucked playing defense in this series.
8: No, it, it, minimal. I mean, he would have been out there. He would have been up a long body. I'm not, talking, body. About, I'm not
2: talking about coming back. For one, I'm talking about if he got traded and then played the whole – I'm just saying if he was not – this was a charade. This was a circus that happened with this trade and him not playing and him showing up looking like Bozo the Clown. I mean, he should be ashamed of himself.
8: Yeah, and then, too, I remember you saying way back, I know we got it on – tape somewhere you saying that ben simmons had more of an upside than jason tatum that sounds like such a delusional take at this point i mean you're talking about him being in new jersey facilitating and getting out of the way that's not a i mean what kind of basketball player are we talking about in ben simmons he's a joke mike
2: well now at this point right you talk about head. you talk about when ben got into the league he never materialized into the player that he was envisioned to be not even close in terms of when he played in the summer league, Glenn, And we're talking about summer That's league all games. You can go on. What I'm saying, That's all you can go on. I'm saying, in the NBA, but if you he's never watched, player, if man. you watched him play, there was no indication that he was going to turn into a guy that just flat out was going to refuse to shoot. I can't wait until he gets
8: on the court, Mike. I want to see him play again. I hate that he sat out the whole year. You believe he got to sit out the whole year after that debacle last year? We didn't get the chance to see him again? I want to see
2: what he does. I just want to see. Him I agree, court, man. I'm with you. I Listen, wait. I'm with Have you. And day, look, Mike. I appreciate the call, Glenn. Listen, I'm with you. I want to see. I don't know how he had the guts to sit out the whole year. Get traded, get himself traded. After he gets himself traded, he still has the stones to sit out. It's crazy to me. And look, I've been one person that said, look, I get it. I'm not questioning. I've been one very heavily that said, there's only one answer to me. He's got mental issues. I don't question that at all. And if you saw his outfit the other day, you would agree with me. There's only one assertion you can make. He had mental problems. And I never questioned that at all. And Tim Legler was on our air and said he'll never play a game in Philadelphia again. Somebody else went to a step further and told me, I don't think he'll ever play again. And I said, come on, man. This guy's whole life has been dedicated to playing basketball. But now I'm not sure he wants to play anymore because you know why? I do have concerns, major concerns about his mental well-being. Major concerns about his mental well-being. And that's sad. Marcus, what's going on? You're on
9: 97.3. What's going on, Mike? Been a while, brother. How are you, man? All is well, my man. Not bad, not bad. Well, you know, your, your knee bone is connected to your hip bone type thing. Well, I think your back and the mental is connected to the guts. <laughs> because uh, with those two things, he's just not able to get it together with that sort of sad. But since he's not playing in either of the Nets anymore, I'm not even going to waste the, uh, the short period of time we have. What I would say is uh, when I sent in a text message earlier, man, I was thinking before the series the fact that, uh, you know, my level of concern was like a 7-8. I said, you know, there's still a game here or there in Toronto, which they were able to do on that Embiid shot. You know, that would go well. I did not, uh, you know, as everybody else, we didn't see the injuries coming to Toronto and definitely not the one to Embiid. But what I stated was that um, Harden, if he's trying to be in that rarefied air superstar era and all that, He's got to be better, and I heard you earlier. I know a couple people tell you how wrong you were, but the things that you said with regards to Embiid not wanting to get in the post and getting that arm, swipe that, getting that hand, swipe that, you know, his ability to dribble and shoot as he did, I mean, it's it's his dominant hand, so it's having a bigger effect, and I'm not here to make excuses for what we hope is the MVP of the league, but... You know, it's having an adverse
2: effect on how he's playing these last couple games. And there's no you question. Can clearly see it on the field. There's no question. He is tentative defensively. He doesn't want to block shots. He doesn't want to try to get his hand in the passing lane. He's letting defenders or letting players dribble past him so that he could try to come from behind and use his left hand to block you from the backside. So he's almost daring you to go past him so that he can try to use his offhand. I've never seen anything like it. He does not want to use that hand really? around the basket.
9: Now I heard you mention before with the pick and roll. Was that uh, you believe a, a situation that because Van Vliet wasn't in, yeah. that him and Harden couldn't be that pick and pop, yeah, that, Marcus, you know, that Well, that they, they were doing, doing they were
2: doing a lot. What they were doing was they were bringing Maxi up. Maxi would set the ro- the pick. He would roll off, and then Van Vliet would be stuck on Harden because Maxi and Van Vliet yeah. were matched up. So they would switch so that Harden had Van Vliet, so that he had the size of Van Harden's like six five. I mean, people don't realize he's a bigger sure. guy at fregard sure. Van Vliet's only like six one. So now Harden has the ability to see over him and get over him. Now he's got, like, Barnes matched up on him, who's six nine. Now he can't see over, and he doesn't have the path to the basket. So when Van Vliet's out, the Sixers were starting their offense with a little, just a quick little pick at the top. Maxie would set the screen. He would roll off to the wing, and then Van Vliet stuck on Harden. And then when, when Harden would go to the basket, Maxie's guy would double Harden. And then they pass it out to Maxie. Right. Maxie's catching on the wing and he's either shooting the 3 or ball fake, taking the ball to the basket with his speed going right by guys. Well, now they don't need to double because the size is there.
9: Right. Yeah, the size and length of this Toronto team has been, you know, a killer and now Fatty Well, that's where when, back, they have, just, when they didn't have when they didn't have Scotty Barnes
2: for those couple games, right? When, when when well, but Barnes is really the 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 he's like a six nine guard. He defends the wings. He defends right. the guards. That length on the guards has really changed the series on terms in terms of Maxie's a great player, but people forget he's only six two. He's small, so he doesn't have. And people are like, "What's going on with Maxie?" Well, he's small, and he's got a guy six nine now out there.
9: No, it's making a big difference. I just stated before I go is the fact that James, I don't even care if James scores the 40 or 35 that everybody's asking him to, but the facilitator, the getting other people involved and the fact that he can make other, uh, you know, he's got to do other contributions in order to get this team going. And he's just kind of I'm going to say it showing himself. He, he, he's not getting the calls that he, he wants. I mean, some of them should get. But it seems like now the calls are going the other way. They're getting people in foul trouble. The bench gave you, I think, seven points, and that was only because Paul Reed made a shot at the end of the game. Otherwise, it was like 29-5 to 5 or something. That, then it turned into 29-11 that uh, the bench is getting outscored. And I'm not sure what they can do with this team when it comes time for the Raptors' size. And strength. And the Sixers care nothing about your Thursday with the draft is basically what they say.
2: You gotta
1: figure out the You're right
2: about that, man. I gotta roll, Marcus. You're right. I don't know what I'm gonna do Thursday. I gotta figure this out. I'll think about it during the break. I'm back with more sports bash after this.
4: Now back without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.
2: Sports Bash brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories that last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from AC to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Gill Show. Jimmy Butler rolled out tonight for the game against the Houston. Uh, excuse me, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, also, Kyle Lowry is out for the game against the Hawks, so you're not going to get Butler or Lowry tonight.
3: I think it's time to make some bets on the Hawks tonight,
2: Mike. You think the Hawks can steal one down tonight? I think
3: in it's Miami. time for a Mike Gill's eight leg parlay tonight.
2: <laughs> yeah, Gabe Vincent is uh, going to hit five threes tonight. He would be my uh, guy to kind of uh, check in on there. A lot of text messages 609 403 0973. Uh, Mike, the guy the Sixers should have got is on the Pelicans. McCollum, he was the player they should have got younger, faster, stronger. He's light enough for the Pelicans. McCollum has played great. I would say this. I think he's probably a better fit for for New Orleans.
3: He's definitely a better fit because if that team has such a huge void in the scoring department, the Sixers didn't have a huge scoring void.
2: I look at it it like this, though. He would have been the scorer that the Sixers – You know, like James Harden's not scoring as much as you had thought. Mm -hmm. But you put him and Maxie in the backcourt together, you got two small guys.
3: Yeah, they're kind of the same player, too. You got
2: two guys like under 6'4". I think McCollum's like 6'4",
3: 6'3". Yeah, I think it's like 6'3". You're looking at a
2: really small backcourt. So while McCollum probably scores, I don't know that he scores as well here. Keep in mind, Chris Paul's only like 6'2, so he's not a big guard defending McCollum.
3: McCollum's listed at 6'3.
2: Yeah, he's a small, and Maxi's like 6'2. You would have two smallish guards in the backcourt.
3: And listen, I know teams have won that way. We know about Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet, but they also had Kawhi Leonard. That's why that team won a championship,
2: Mike, you can see the body language the last two games. They look like they were burned out, zero intensity. If they could just stop the offensive rebounds at second and third chance shots, they probably would have won game four. Tom from the Villas. You know, the long rebounds, that's where a guy like, I hate to say Simmons, but he was very good at 6'10", getting the long rebound and then getting out in transition. Max, he can't jump up high enough to get those rebounds sometime, and that gets second chance points.
1: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My
4: personality is I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardies for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by
1: the Inside the Birds
4: podcast.
1: Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia studios, this is Football at Four.
2: Football 4 is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you by Prop Swap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets, take your profit, find out how. Go to PropSwap.com, download the Prop Swap app today. You can Prop Swap the NFL Draft odds. First overall pick, Trayvon Walker is the favorite. Aiden Hutchinson is a 2-1. to one. Evan Neal, 25-1. to one. The number two overall pick, Hutchinson is the favorite there. Kayvon Thibodeau is next. Trayvon Walker is a uh, far third choice. Uh, Malik Willis is 18 to 1. Sauce Gardner to be the second overall pick. He is 22 to 1. He is 4 to 1. Sauce Gardner to be the third overall pick with Derek Stingley, the favorite. Jeff Mosher, a cornerback, could be going number three overall if you believe the Vegas odds. Stingley and Sauce Gardner—they're the favorites to be the third overall pick, and that might put a wrench in some of the Eagles' plans, I would guess.
10: Well, I mean, it would put a wrench in a lot of plans, <laughs> a lot of teams' plans. You know, the Eagles are at fifteen; um, they would love to have one of those two guys. I would say slip, you know, into seven, eight, nine to cons- for them to consider a, a move up in which you wouldn't have to just, you know, really start giving up a lot of bounty. But I, I all right, look, <laughs> I've been having this conversation with Adam. This draft will challenge a lot of uh, what I think I know about football schemes, coaches, and philosophies, right? Why is that? You're, because you're, you're, you're saying that the the two corners, one of the two corners are the favorites to go number three overall to Houston, correct? Do they have the third pick? Yes. Yeah. So, what do we know about Houston? We know two things: their head coach is Lovey Smith, and we're Smith insinuating runs, that
2: these teams know what they're doing sometimes. <laughs>
10: that, that's a great point, especially Houston. I shouldn't be. Yeah, don't but, be but,
2: so hard on yourself, brother. But but here here's what I I can't get past
10: with that. Okay, is that Lovey Smith is the head coach and Nick Casario comes from New England. He's the GM, right? And what we know about Lovey Smith throughout his entire coaching career is that he's as pure Tampa two style defense as it gets. And most Tampa 2 teams do not put a lot of investment, high investment in cornerbacks because you've got two safeties back there. They like the the physical guys, height, length, which Ahmad Gardner and Stantley offer. But, you know, guys like Peanut Tillman, I'm trying to go through the Tampa Bay Bucks when they want it, um, you know, with Simeon Rice and uh and uh, Warren Sapp up front, that's where they, they had Ronde Barber the three technique, right? They had Ronde Barber, but he was a nickel cornerback he was a slot corner their outside corners were Dexter uh I, I can't remember the last name but the point is yeah the point is those style of teams don't normally use the number three overall pick on a cornerback right and then Nick Casario comes from New England which puts a lot of emphasis on secondary players nobody does it more than Belichick but but they actually are really good at taking Day two and day three corners, your your Malcolm Butler's of the world, your Daron Harmon's, uh, your um, who else they turned into? Uh, there's a million corners oh, no. that turn into star players. They don't normally invest first round picks in cornerback. So, and plus the Texans need so much help in the pretty much everywhere around. I, I agree with you. That's a best player available type pick if they take Sauce Gardner there. I but,
2: mean, Steve Nelson
10: might be the best corner they have right now. Uh, I, I get that I totally get that. But again, Steve, Tampa two teams are pretty happy to just have some tall, physical, and, and Steve Nelson is physical. They, they don't. That's not where they put most of their their stock. They need because you play two safeties deep, right? You need. Uh, And because your linebackers tend to be smaller in the Tampa two, like the Earl Ackers and and the Lance Briggs, right? You need that big, strong defensive line. That's why the Warren Saps and the Booger McFarlands and other guys, Robert Freeney from Indianapolis with um, Robert Mathis, right? Those guys were speed off the edge guys. Those are the, so when I look at Houston, I think they're ripe for a Trayvon Walker or a Kayvon Thibodeau, although it sounds like Thibodeau might slip a little bit, but I think they're ripe for a defensive lineman because that's, the benchmark to what they do defensively. That is where it all begins. But again, I'm also the biggest advocate in the world for best
2: player available. So I'd be a, a hypocrite to say it's a bad pick on their part. Yeah, I mean, like it's funny because I'm looking at these odds, and Stingley's the favorite three to one. Ahmad Gardner's next four to one. Then there's a drop off. I mean, Trayvon Walker. Uh, now he might not be there because he might be the number one overall pick. But even the next couple of picks, you know, there's a pretty big drop between Stingley and Gardner, and then you go down to Evan Neal six to one, Dibodeau seven to one, Aiden Hutchinson, who's probably not going to be there. So it seems pretty locked in that Houston is going to take a corner if you believe those odds, anyway.
10: Well, I've been surprised before, Michael, but um let's revisit this this conversation after the draft and, and we'll see we'll we'll see if, if Houston actually took a cornerback that high.
2: Yeah, oh I definitely think you know, and I and I mentioned this because, you know, obviously the Eagles, you know, we think could be in play, and that would mean one guy would be off the board very early, which could really this happened to them last year, where they liked two of the corners. Um Went right before them at eight and nine. You know, um, Sertan was the one went to Denver. And right. the, the guy JC Horn. Horn. went to Carolina. So they may have liked a corner going in, and that kind of blew up their day. Yeah, they
10: very well might have. So uh, <laughs> I, I think this draft is so unpredictable. Uh, I mean, when, when, you, when you're this close and you're not exactly sure who the number one overall pick is going to be, uh, and that could also change the dynamic of who the number two pick is going to be based on who's number one. I think that that tells you that this should be a pretty unpredictable and, and potentially exciting draft.
2: Yeah, I think um, you're right. The top of the draft where, you know, um is not even the favorite anymore to be the number one pick. He has now been surpassed by Walker. So. We'll take that for what it's worth, but you're getting to the last stages here, and you've had a flip-flop on who the presumed favorite is to be drafted number one. And quite frankly, Jeff, we don't know who's going to go number two.
10: No, we really don't know. I, I mean, could Sauce go number two? I, I, I could see that. I mean, he's from Detroit. So not that the Lions are going to pick a guy just because he's from Detroit. Well, and Hutchinson went to Michigan. Michigan. Right, and so Hutchinson went to Michigan. You got so that they, factor they, They've got two well. things thin going on there, yeah. Uh, I You know, when you think about what Dan Campbell said he wanted to do there, it was establish a culture of devouring kneecaps and pummeling people, and so that makes you tend to think trenches, and they did draft Penny Sewell last year. Uh, I don't know how they feel about Taylor Decker and Sewell, if they'd still rather have another offensive tackle or if they'd rather go pass rusher there. The, the, see, it's to me, it's fantastic. It's a great case study and we'll talk about it after it happens. But Kayvon Thibodeau would be, let's say Hutchinson goes first or or Trayvon Walker goes first. Kayvon Thibodeau is there and he is a, you know, a defensive end who is at one point was considered the best player in the draft and potential number one pick. But there, there's some question on, on sort of his effort all the time, love for football, like the type of stuff that you would think that would make Dan Campbell maybe roll his eyes a little bit. He's a talented player. But I've spoken to several teams that just say that, you know, there's a, like a, kind of an, an arrogance about him mm-hmm. uh, in the interview that makes you wonder if, like, he's a coachable kid, right? So, you know, Dan Campbell wants guys who are going to run through the wall for him. So it makes you – if he doesn't go Thibodeau to, to the Lions at two, well, where's his spot going to be?
2: Uh, talk with Jeff Mosher. com did their uh, annual mock draft with Adam, Andrew, and Jeff. And in that third spot, you took Trayvon Walker because Adam went with Hutchinson one, and a- Andrew went with Thibodeau two. So Houston yeah. would be doing backflips in that situation, wouldn't they? I would think so. I mean, they could have Trayvon
10: Walker, or they could have still Sauce Gardner. So I mean, they're they're sitting in the bird cat seat or whatever bird dogs or whatever they call that seat <laughs> that, that you want to be sitting in. They're 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 in a great position because they have two first round picks. They're both high, and there's really not a position that they would probably not pick a player
2: at yes um and then you got the Jets taking Gardner that was Adam um you know the Giants would be interesting because Andrew's got him going with an offensive line when, with Icawano uh I think the Giants could, you know obviously their offensive line has been a disaster for them for years so this seems like uh, whoever they take Evan Neal would be a safe pick for them finally that they need to do mm-hmm. something to start taking care of their skill players
10: Yeah, but you know that's where you get into. Well, what happens if Thibodeau is still available there because they need pass rushers? What happens? Well, that's why I like this conversation because it's all the
2: things that like it's like all the peeling of the onion of as soon as something and it's so unpredictable this draft. As soon as something doesn't go your way, how does that change all the dominoes behind you?
10: Well, I know that in several conversations people are having, myself included. You know, as opposed to other years. There's a it's a big guessing game. The Eagles are sitting there at 15 and they probably got certain guys in mind. And in the past, they could probably say, if we want that guy, we definitely have to make a call about moving up, see what it's going to cost us. Or we can already tell now that where we're sitting, you know, we may want to move down. So, uh, you know, I think where the Eagles are, if you're talking to to Howie Roseman to shoot him up with true serum right now, he'd probably say, I really can't. I can discuss potential move-ups and move-downs, but until I see how the top seven or eight even shake out, I can't even tell you if I'm more likely to move up, down, or just stand pat.
2: Okay, so on that, let me, you know, and I'll go off of what you guys did over at Inside the Birds, and obviously that's not the gospel in this situation, but I think uh, Stingley, you guys have going in the 11 spot now. Is there a player? Yeah, Stingley goes to Washington with uh, Andrew picking for them. If Stingley's there at 11, do they call Washington and then try to move? Like where, What's the threshold of the player they want and where he falls to where Howie says, I'll move to that spot? How high up is it?
10: Right. That's a good question. Uh, so one thing that I feel uh, I, just in conversations with, with people, um, who know the Eagles and, and are trying to get a feel for the league. They st- One person I spoke to yesterday said he does not sense that Howie's looking to, to really you know hit the big home run here, like go from 15 to 5, right, to get mod Gardner or 4 or anything like that. And he's going to give up. He's going to package 15 and 18 or 15 in a second rounder. But the smaller move, like you're suggesting here, going from 15 to 11, which is only really moving up three or four spots and then, that probably costs you like a third rounder uh, of some sort. That's a little bit more realistic. And so that's where Howie has to kind of decide, do I want to move up and give that up to get Stingley? Or at 15, would I be happy with Trent McDuffie, who is a very good cornerback, uh, a cornerback that a lot of teams, that pretty much checks off every single box, except for the fact that he's got short arms and teams that, lean heavily on analytics don't like short armed cornerbacks but the Eagles make concessions at times I mean certainly Landon Dickerson is an example of making a concession on medical history for the sake of really good talent right Um, so that's where Howie would have to decide do I really want to make that aggressive move to go up a few spots for Stingley or can I be happy with Trent McDuffie who might be just as good in the long run but has a little bit of a limitation here that I don't have to worry about with Stingley
2: Right. And I guess on the injury front, too, I mean, that's one of those things where I guess you're told by the doctors like, hey, this guy's undraftable. You don't make that determination. You definitely follow your your medical advice there. That's why they didn't take DK Metcalf. Correct. Right. I was going to say. So you don't follow your you don't go rogue and say, hey, the doctors are telling me red flag. No, but I'm taking him anyway. Uh,
10: Well, I mean, you certainly could, but you don't. You shouldn't, I should say. You also shouldn't, you know, pick a player because your owner is rooting for him, but that happens too, so what are you going to (laughs) do?
2: Okay, so same situation, like Derek Stingley's there. Like, I don't know, in your mind, how many of these guys get to a certain point where they, like Jordan Davis, is he a guy they trade up for?
10: It's a tough, I don't think so. I mean, I think that they they, they would, they like him. Like, which
2: guys do they sit
0: and wait?
2: Which guys do they sit and wait and just hope? Hey, I'll take Dewey Davis as he's 15, but I'm not trading up to get him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's a fair statement. I, I don't think they would trade up for Jordan
10: Davis. I think they possibly would for Derek Stingley if it was just a couple of spots uh, that we're talking about. Yep. But when you have two picks, uh, you know, Mike, and you you have as many holes, I think that they're just hoping some some good talent. And I I'm not just hoping. I mean I. I know that they expect that there'll be some good talent there. Now, in our mock draft, we had Garrett Wilson falling to the Eagles at 15. Uh, In retrospect, I think that that's not going to happen. But if it does, the way our board shook out, I think they'd be perfectly fine to sit there at 15 and take Garrett Wilson. A lot of teams uh, uh, I've spoken to have him as a top 10 talent and maybe the second best receiver uh, behind Jameson Williams. Yeah, Jameson Jameson Williams. So, I mean, that's an
2: example of what you're talking about. Because we touched on this a little yesterday, but... Andrew um, has Jamison Williams going eight. And, you know, obviously there's been Mm -hmm. some murmurs that that's the guy that the Eagles are hoping to get at 15. But we had discussed a bit that – and this might have been after you got off the air yesterday – that the Eagles may likely have the pick of the litter of which receiver they want. Now, in your mock draft, the only receiver off the board is Jamison Williams. So under your thought process – Garrett Wilson trumps Drake London, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, so uh, George Pickens. So if they have the pick of the litter, you think Wilson would be their guy? Um, are you going I off think- of fit on this mock draft or what you're hearing? Well, uh, I'll give you a little bit of both.
10: Fit, yes, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount Drake London also. in that spot because remember the eagles have put a lot of emphasis this offseason on getting that natural x receiver that big body uh wide receiver um they they obviously trailing burks is another guy who kind of fits that you know they tried to um make a run at Allen robinson who's a big body x wide receiver so uh garrett wilson can certainly play the x and he's so talented that if he's on the board i think it's kind of a no-brainer but i'm sure there'll be a discussion about Drake London at that point as well.
2: Um, one guy that I'm interested, you know, Daxton uh, Hill is a safety and he's kind of a, could be a corner. He could, does a lot. Would he be in play in your mind it, with 18? I don't, I, you know, I don't want to slam the door on anything. I, I know just, you're the, the, big the, on the, the, not wanting to take a safety, but this yeah, a guy who's I mean, little, has a little versatility.
10: Yeah. I mean, he he's sort of a, 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 a chess piece right because he can play nickel cornerback but you have avante maddox signed to a long-term contract so how much slot corner are you really going to use daxton hill in i mean if you think he can play safety and then come down and be your second interior receiver when they go four wide and he's going to play 65 percent of your defense he's certainly worthy of a discussion but then that goes back to still he's a when all when when, when you slice it up he's still a safety Right, whether he's an interior corner or a post player, he's a safety. And I, if you're talking about the first round with the Eagles this year, I think you're talking about either defensive pass rusher, wide receiver, or cornerback. That's it.
2: Mm-hmm.
10: Not, and could they, if 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 there's a huge run on all three of those, and and they're picking at 15, and Linderbaum's on the board, maybe they consider because we know they like offensive linemen.
2: But I'm going to kind of say say that that's not the case. If one of those linemen, Cross, Neal, somehow, someway fell to 15, would they feel compelled?
10: (laughs) I mean, if Evan Neal falls to 15, there's something probably it's like a Laramie Tunsil type thing. Like he got caught doing something strange about an hour before the draft. Agree. (laughs) Agree. You know, just like
2: the mindset of... Uh, this guy's just too good to pass up like which, yeah, you know, what yeah, guys at, point, at 15 that you don't envision being there that could be there, And they're like i just have to take this guy it's not a quarterback yeah, neil, though right
10: yeah neil yes i think that you just run to the podium and say thank you for evan neil but i wouldn't say that about charles cross he's a polarizing type of prospect some teams love him some teams think the feet and the hands don't always match up right you know like a little bit more developmental there uh, so I, I don't know that, they, you know, the Eagles jump on that unless they think he can play some guard and then move to tackle. Um, but I, I really, Mike, I really, really feel strongly on defensive line, cornerback, wide receiver.
2: All right. Uh, check out InsideTheBirds.com for their full mock draft. Adam, Jeff, and Andrew Dechecco made the picks. They alternated. You got both Eagles picks, by the way. Uh, check out who Jeff
10: – I didn't set it up that way, by the way, I swear. Although we did it communally. If you listen, like I, we we all – kind of banter it out and then decide as one. It's just that whoever has the pick can settle a tie there.
2: Gotcha. All right. Well, you can check that out on the Inside the Birds YouTube channel. Uh, and it's in written form over at InsideTheBirds.com if you want to read through their mock draft. Um, we will uh, discuss a little bit more uh, draft stuff, of course, football for tomorrow. Andrew will be here on Thursday as he'll be here on the big draft day, and then Adam's back Friday to recap round number one and preview round number two and three on Friday. Jeff Mosher, we'll talk to you next week, man. All right, Mike. Talk to you. All right. Jeff Mosher here on the Sports Bash Live. Football at Four is brought to you by PropSwap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets, take your profit, find out how. Go to PropSwap.com and download the PropSwap app today. The NFL draft's a great thing to Prop Swap. You can start betting guys, getting tickets of where you think guys are going to fall all throughout the draft. And then the next thing you know, you can post those at PropSwap, get people to... Buy them from you in the middle of the draft. It's a great, beautiful thing, man. Go to propswap.com, download that prop swap app today. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Pass live on 973 ESPN and the 973 ESPN free mobile app. Hey, coming up, Josh has the headlines. Michael Caskey Blow Main. And a Tuesday with Thompson. We'll get the PT's panic level. I right, got I'll tell you right now. I'll answer the question. PT panic level, 10. He's out of 10. Billy Schwein locker room, 10. Those guys go from zero to 60. I would say on a scale of one to 10, I'm like a four. Four and a half. A lot of interesting headlines you don't want to miss coming up. Especially about my boy Jerry West. Back with more Sports Bash headlines next. Now! For the ones who work hard
0: to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or
2: just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. At 428. Michael Cassidy Blow, main joined us at 445 to talk a little sixers, but first let's uh, dive in on today's. Headlines. By the way, I was right, uh, almost right about the Phillies. Their lineup is Al. Herrera is in center, but Dede's back playing short, so no Camargo.
3: Dede's back. Get excited.
2: Excited about that? I have no idea.
3: I mean, listen, the Phillies at least won last night. They got that going for well. them. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Come on. Why well, don't with the NFL. Short on time today. Let's go. Oh, good grief. Well, we're we'll starting with the NFL draft here. You can just talked with Mosher about it. Carolina Panthers general manager Scott Fitterer told the media that he spoke with Sam Darnold to let him know that there's a, quote, pretty good chance, unquote, the team will add a quarterback during the draft this weekend and that there are a couple quarterbacks he is comfortable with with the sixth overall pick.
2: Interesting. So then he came right out and told him.
3: He also came out and said that he has had teams calling him about the sixth overall pick, that the Panthers have not... Made any decision with the pick yet, but their biggest goal is to, quote, stabilize the quarterback position long term.
2: Of course, that's everybody's biggest goal, but in this draft, uh, it's fool's goal, frivolous. Don't take a guy at six just to take a guy at six. That's how guys get fired.
3: Maybe Scott Federer once lived dangerous.
2: Yeah, well, he's got Darnold they- who was <laughs> the second pick of the draft. If that didn't teach you that taking a quarterback, reaching to take a quarterback just to take one doesn't work, I don't know what will. Your guy is an example one, hey.
3: I think it's really funny that the Panthers at this point are still trying to figure the quarterback position out. After the whole point of them letting Cam Newton walk, what was it, two GMs ago, basically.
2: It's not easy to find. People act like everyone just grabs a quarterback and it's all easy. Yeah, we got one. No, some organizations are going on like decades
3: without one. Oh, I understand that, but I'm just saying, I just think it's funny the Panthers acted like letting go of Cam Newton was going to be, ah, we'll find another guy.
2: Every team's like that, though. That's my point. You just let guys go, like, ah, we'll get another guy. Another guy will come, you know, straggling along down the street. Like Willie Mays Hayes, you know, like he's sleeping outside on a cot in Major League, like some quarterback (laughs) just sitting outside like, hey, what about me?
3: (laughs) That would be a good movie, though.
2: Yeah, you're gonna go find some guy playing in the uh, in the uh, USFL or
3: the XFL next year.
2: believe well, league have not started yet. You need to find a guy in, in the US. This U- are you watch any USFL? Barely. Ratings have been pretty pretty good.
3: I'm not part of those ratings. I'm so, sorry. I
2: say. watched a decent amount.
3: I've been very consumed with the NBA playoffs and the Phillies.
2: Me too. But I, when the games are over, I usually while watch in between. That's when I do my watching of the USFL. Like I was watching the New Jersey Generals. And I guess whatever team Jeff Fisher is the coach. Washington. Michigan. 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 Yeah, Jeff Fisher's I was Michigan. watching that game yesterday.
3: You got Shay Patterson. Fisher's game. team's terrible. Yeah, got Shane He's got
2: Shea Patterson as a quarterback. Patterson's awful. <laughs> he is. He has Paxton Lynch as the backup, but he, he doesn't does. even get in.
3: It's, oh, my goodness. Well, we you got,
2: imagine you're a first round pick in the NFL, and you can't get into a USFL into game. <laughs> a USFL game.
3: <laughs> hey, speaking of football, did you see what Bob Stoops had to say?
2: Isn't he a USFL coach?
3: XFL coach.
2: Oh, he's an XFL coach.
3: Yes. Well, Bob Stoops was speaking to the Oklahoma legislature and he wanted to respond to people who are worried about the future of Oklahoma football. Bob Stoops told the legislator, quote, where he's being honored for his uh, contributions to the state. He said, quote, Lincoln Riley didn't invent OU football. Unquote. That was his initial statement when he very was very. Apparently, Stoops is getting angry with people doubting his former assistant Brent Venables. He went on to say, "Quote, Brent was a major part of Oklahoma's undefeated season in 2000. He was with it for 13 years, and then with the 10 years with Clemson, where he won a national championship. He's got all the experience in the world. I don't need to tell you about his passion." It is energy. It oozes all over the place, and it infects people, "In quote.
2: This is college football. You lose a coach of that magnitude, everybody hits the panic button. Oklahoma, by the way, yeah. this happened when Bob Stoops left. Everybody hit the panic button. Right. I think the bigger college story, college coaching story, is Jay Wright this morning on 97.3 ESPN said that He actually thinks he might want to coach in the NBA. Have you seen this
3: story? I heard the audio. If I remember correctly, he said I'd be lying if I wasn't interested.
2: Right. He didn't say, yes, I want to coach in the NBA, but he did admit I'd be lying if
3: I hadn't thought about coaching in the NBA. Now, this is interesting because Phil Martelli was on Billy Schwein's show on Saturday, and he said he wouldn't be surprised if at some point Jay Wright, several years from now, feels a need to scratch the itch. he called
2: it. Several years from now. He's 60. So you're talking about, like, he's going to be 65 years old and decide I want to get back into coaching?
3: Maybe. I mean, the way, if you combine what Jay Wright said to Seth Greenberg in a separate interview with what I heard Phil Martelli say this weekend, it sounds like Jay Wright is pretty intent for a few years of just not doing it.
2: Yeah. I mean, on the interview this morning on KJM, he kind of sounded like, He said, look, I got to scratch that itch a little bit. And Ryan Fannin said this on our show on Friday. He got to do the Olympics. And he got to be around LeBron and KD and all those guys. So, that gave him a little bit of it, but I was a little surprised that he did say, I'd be lying if I didn't think about it. I thought that was something.
3: Yeah. It's definitely something to hang on to. Listen, I don't think that Wright is going to take a job like the Lakers, for example. But I do think that you know, Frank, I'll use this as an example. What if it's the 2024, right? Let's say it's two, three years from now. Let's say the Sixers still don't win a championship with Joel the Doc Rivers gets run out of town in a couple of years.
2: If they lose this series, Doc Rivers will be run out of well, town that's, that's true. Saturday.
3: I, I'm just going to say, let's, let's <laughs> I'll say... I'll tell you that
2: right now. If if they don't win this series, he'll be gone Sunday because Game 7 is Saturday.
3: True. I'm presenting you in a scenario.
2: And if he's not... You'll hear me Monday.
3: Let's say the Sixers win this series.
2: By the way, you know my feeling on the coach. I know. I'm not blaming the coach. You as the coach cannot allow your team to lose this series. I I
3: understand that. I'm just saying I'm giving a scenario where if in a couple years, Sixers don't get any farther than the NBA, they don't get to the NBA Finals at all in this couple years, right? And let's say Doc leaves town. I wouldn't be surprised if we circle back to Jay Wright again, and Jay Wright's like, you know what? I don't have to leave town. I love Philadelphia. I'll I'll do this for my town, kind of thing.
2: Okay, I was a little surprised because most of what I have heard, and I'm not like some Jay Wright like expert or anything, but I do know people that know Jay Wright, and Ryan Fannin works with Jay Wright. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who have known Jay Wright that I know have said he has not had a lot of interest or didn't think that that was something that he, like, had to do.
3: Yeah, and Phil Martelli even said this weekend with Billy Schwein that he didn't think it would be an NBA job. He thought it might be another college job.
2: See, I don't see that. I don't think he does another college job.
3: I'll be interesting in to see what his That feelings... I'd be
2: surprised with. If he took another college job, I'd be surprised with. And I... I'd be disappointed, quite frankly. Okay, now, unless he took like Monmouth. <laughs> Seriously, like if he you know, like some of these older guys at the end of the line, they went and coached like some smaller school just because they just wanted to keep coaching.
3: Like uh Jim Calhoun did with yeah, that. Yeah, like Raleigh was at
2: Cleveland State. Right. Stuff like that.
3: J so Wright, coach Rowan, what? Not that level. Right? <laughs>
2: Seriously, like um, A St. Peter's or someone in that, like, level of of size. But I don't think that's the case.
3: You mentioned the HBO story earlier. I'll get to that now because we are on the basketball team here. So HBO is trying to fight back against Jerry West and others' accusations that this whole Winning Time show has basically been a character assassination of everybody, basically. Now, the HBO statement they gave... I think is very intellectually dishonest. I'll read it for everybody out there. HBO has a long history of producing compelling content drawn from actual facts and events that are fictionalized in part for dramatic purposes. Winning Time is not a documentary and has not been presented as such. However, the series and its depictions are based on extensive factual research and reliable sourcing and HBO stands resolutely Behind our talented creators and cast who have brought the dramatization of this epic chapter of basketball History to the screen. Unquote. Now, yeah. I've only watched three episodes.
2: I'm on one because I'm out because it was such a bad depiction. But let me tell you a something. Jerry West, Zeke from Cabin Creek, for God's sakes, she's the logo.
3: I read Jeff Perlman's book, which HBO claims is the basis for this movie. The Jeff Perlman book never makes Jerry West or Kareem look the way they do in this in this show. Now, the portrayals of Magic and Norm Nixon have been pretty accurate. But the portrayals of the other two guys have been extremely inaccurate. The Jerry Buss prediction is decently accurate. the But there's a lot of still... Fictionalized, dramatized, trashing it for HBO to take this position, I think is intellectually dishonest.
2: By the way, if that in any way, shape, or form is Jerry West, he's a complete jerk. Which he's not. Right. And I have heard nothing to say. I mean, look, I know his days back to West Virginia. No one had ever told me, hey, you know, it was a real jerk. Jerry West. Like, yeah, he's a little introverted, a little odd, but not that he was a complete psychotic jerk.
3: Yeah, to which Karina Gojabar said, uh, except exploring West's compassion and his understanding of the game, they turned him into wildly coyote. Yeah, it was terrible. I think HBO made a huge mistake here. They're sticking to their guns on this one. They are sticking to their guns, but I think that they're being dishonest. I think that anybody who read the Jeff Perlman book would be able to vouch for the fact that Winning Time did not use factual, historical information for some of their information.
2: Okay. All right. uh, What's the panic level? Michael Kasky, Blomain, CBS Sports, covers the NBA. He'll tell you where he thinks the Sixers fans should be feeling right now. That's next. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
1: Now.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click
1: Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader.
2: All right, we got text messages. We've got reaction from last night's awful loss brought to you by Delaware Valley Acura Dealers. With new inventory arriving daily, find your award-winning local Acura dealership today. Check out Acura's lineup online at DelVellAcuraDealers.com. Sixers lose to the Raptors. I got people texting panic level 10, some guy told me. He's out of 10, Michael Kasky, blow me. The, the fans are out of 10 right now. Where should they be on a scale of 1 to 10? What's the panic level? <sighs>
11: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame them for being at 10, Mike. I'm not quite that high. You know, they still have, have two opportunities to get the job done. But, uh, you know, that, that's to be expected after two straight, you know, really underwhelming performances. I, I can't blame anyone for being in, in panic mode after that.
2: How did it get here? What is the main uh, reason for you that we're at 3-2 going back to Toronto?
11: Uh, I think it's a combination of the Sixers taking their foot off the gas after after game three, almost even after game two. Like, game three was really close. Obviously, Joel kind of saved him in the second half and hit that game winner. And then it's just been two straight efforts, so they've just been, you know, uninspired. They look, you know, tired, lethargic, which, you know, shouldn't be the case. Uh, the game four was one thing in Toronto. You already won one. I fully expected after that performance for them. That- to come out last night with, you know, energy, kind of trying to put their foot on the throat to of Toronto, and they just haven't done that.
2: Um, Van Vliet's out. I saw you tweet about this. I mentioned it on my show yesterday as well. I agree, the size was a problem. Van, v- Ble- Van Vliet being out almost was a blessing in disguise, uh, and gave Nurse something that he might not have done—more size.
11: Yeah, hundred percent, Mike. I was going to say that was the other big factor, other than the Sixers, you know, not bringing the energy. Was that, you know, adjustment was made for Nick Nurse that, like you said, I don't know if he necessarily would have made by himself, given the fact that Van Vliet's an all star, you know, a, a huge part of what they've been doing all season. But with him not out there, they've gone supersized. You know, everyone out there is six or, or taller, and there's no one, you know, no one guy that they can target, that the Sixers can target on defense and, and try to go at and use it as an advantage. Uh, Malachi Flynn didn't play last night either for Toronto, so they played only three guys off the bench, which was Thad. Young, Boucher, and, and Precious, and Chua, all three of those guys are like 6'8, 6'9. It's just tons of size for Toronto. When, you know, with Van, v- Van Vliet being out, it's like you said, it, I think it has been almost like a, a positive uh, addition by subtraction. For okay, Toronto. if they have
2: size and that's a problem now, what is the counter?
11: the counter i think is you got to establish joel in the post more and i think you got to get increase the tempo i think the, the sixers just have not been playing with enough you know speed and urgency james harden specifically i'd like to see Maxie get the ball in transition more with some you know stagger screens or opportunities to get him in, in transition going to the rim and then when you're in the half court i think they need to do a better job of reestablishing joel in the post i know it's hard obviously when they have you know the constant attention but that's where the sixers their bread has been buttered all year he draws the attention they swing swing it out, and then the you know the shooters on the perimeter have to capitalize. But those are the two things I think you do to neutralize the size that Toronto has out there.
2: Game loss was lost last night in a variety of ways, but that second quarter, 12-0 run, never felt they got back into it, never felt like they cared to get back into it. But what I took from the 12-0 run, Michael, is a lot of that was going right at Joel Embiid. How much is that hand a factor in the way he's playing defense?
11: Yeah, which it, it shouldn't be Mike and I agree. It was easily Joel's worst game of the series defensively last night. Like you said they were, you know, having success going right at him, getting to the rim. They finished. I want to say they were 24 from uh, for 28 at shots within four feet, like right at the rim, which means that they were, you know, not only getting there a lot, but once they were there, there was little to no resistance, and they were able to finish easily. Um, you know, it's one thing that hand's going to be bothering him, like he said, on passes, even dribbling, shooting. It really shouldn't impact him defensively. You know, to, he doesn't need that hand to move his feet. And, you know, he should be able to operate without it. I think last night it was a matter of him kind of just being, allowing that hand to get into his head offense, and that kind of carried over, uh, you know, to the other end of the floor. He basically said as much to us after the game. And I think, you know, it's something obviously he needs to improve in the next game.
2: How about on the offensive side of the ball? Do you think the hand is a factor with not only his offense, but the way that Toronto is choosing to defend him now?
11: Yeah, I think so. I think the you know the pressure he's not handling it as well now. We've seen a couple of ter- turnovers of him kind of just wiring the ball out of bounds, not you know reacting to the to the double teams as well. I think you're seeing them blitz from you know a couple different sides. Sometimes the double is coming from the baseline, sometimes it's coming from the top. Uh, you know, perimeter defender coming down, you know, which they have been doing. But I just think he he's in his head about it a little bit. I'm sure it is bothering him. You've seen it on on several diff- different situations. But you know if he's going to be out there, they're going to need him to be close to what he's been all season so he's gonna have to figure out a way to obviously to, to fight through it
2: uh, michael Kasky, blomaine cbs sports covers the nba uh that second quarter 12-0 run um really kind of changed that game sixers couldn't got back couldn't get back into it um and then there's james harden okay oh boy there's a lot with the harden here there's a lot of layers to the harden this version of james harden is this a good enough version or does somebody have to say yo man if you have it in you, we're going to need more. Because it seemed <laughs> yeah, like it was a good version it, early. We had the conversation. Oh, this is the right version. He's distributing. He's being more of a facilitator. Well, it seems that that's not working anymore.
11: I mean, they they definitely still need his facilitation, Mike. But like you said, he, he took 11 shots last night, made four of them. That's just, it's, it's not going to get the job done. And it's crazy, you know, watching highlights of him from a couple years ago to what we're seeing right now. He just, you know, he looks like a completely different player. And I think to, you know, to what you said in terms of someone saying something to him, I think we heard that, uh, you know, to, to an extent from joel last night afterwards where he said you know that he's been telling james to be more aggressive but you know technically he's not the coach it's not his job but and i think that was a way to kind of let him know i'm sure they're letting him know behind the scenes but yeah i mean they need him to even if he doesn't have the same explosion in terms of being able to get to the rim and finish he there's plays where it doesn't even look like he's you know has the mindset to try to score or is passing up open opportunities or open driving lanes or, you know, he'll make a drive and he has the potential to shoot his floater and he'll kick it out to a corner uh, three to like Tobias or something, which is, you know, it's not a a bad play to make, but at the same time, you know, you want him to get going. You want him to, you know, be aggressive. So if it's ever going to happen, like you said, they need it now. Joel's clearly not at a hundred percent at this point, they brought him in to be, you know, that second guy, let alone for what's going to happen with his contract extensions after the season. But for this season, and now they, they definitely need him to be more aggressive yeah, and, and Michael, step
2: up. And Michael, uh, this series could be over by the next time I talk to you. Well, it will be over because it's either over Thursday or Saturday, so we're either going to be talking about post-mortem <laughs> or getting ready for Miami. But that being said, if I'm asking you on Tuesday, this version of James Harden, can you pay him $250 million?
11: Uh, No, absolutely not, Mike. You know, you would be handicapping yourself in in a big way. With that being said, I think he can still be extremely useful and productive. I don't know what he would be willing to take and and whatnot. I think the best case scenario for the Sixers would be him opting in uh, next year to that player option that he has and, you know, riding out with one more year and then going from there. I don't know if he'll do that. But no, you—you you know, short answer, you can't uh, max out the way he's playing right now, and considering how much that would mean, he's getting paid as he gets into his mid and upper thirties. What happens
2: hypothetically if they lose this series? What are the repercussions?
11: Whew, man, uh, I mean, I think it would be really hard to justify bringing Doc Rivers back at this point. And you know me, I've, I've, I'm not one of these big anti Doc Rivers guys. But if you're talking about you know the way things turned out last year in that hawk series followed up by a first round exit to a you know inferior raptors team talent wise after getting a 3-0 lead which you know obviously we know that would be the first ever uh 3-0 lead blown in a best of seven series it would add to doc's resume of you know blown leads in playoff series in the past and i just don't know how you would be able to justify bringing him back at that point um, and then obviously the roster would, would see some tweaks. I think Joel and, and Maxie are obviously the, the, you know, the cornerstones at this point, whatever happens with Harden. And then you know, it's, it's almost back to the drawing board, I would say.
2: What's going on with Maxie?
11: You know, I think it's a combination of things. He's still I I do think age is still a thing. I don't think he's, you know, shown all season that he's ready to be a consistent night in, night out, twenty five to thirty point scorer. You know, I think there's still the, the bumps in the road where he has off nights, he, you know, gets in and out. But some of it I think is schematic and I think that's you know, one of my critiques of Doc Rivers right now is I think he you know, the offense is pretty predictable in terms of with James and Joel, the two-man game, isolation, you know, trying to draw a switch and have James drive and dish out to the perimeter. I think you want to see more, you know, moving forward these next game or two games, however long it takes. Uh, you know, more uh, action for Maxi with, you know, the ball in his hands with, you know, opportunity to get to the rim it it is tougher you know obviously the van vliet being out is also playing a part of it like we talked about earlier that was a guy especially in game one Maxi was you know getting him in space and cooking him and going right at him now every time he gets you know isolation or a shot there's a six eight six nine guy with length like right in his face which has impacted him too but you know like i said i'd like to see doc get him some more plays where you know they set screens for him get him the ball coming off screens going to the basket get him you know transition opportunities things like that to get him going
2: MKB Michael Kasky Blomain has more on the NBA playoffs. The Sixers five takeaways from the series. Go check it out over at CBSSports.com. MKB, take care, bud. Thanks, Mike. All right, that's Michael Kasky Blomain. Tuesdays we talk NBA right here on the Sports batch. He's got five takeaways. We gave you a few of them. He's spot on on the size. We talked about that earlier. Next hour, Pete Thompson. The alarms are set. I'm going to say on a scale of one to ten, he's a ten. That's my prediction. We'll ask him. How concerned is the PT? Stick around. More Sports Bash on the way. This is The Sports Bash
1: with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
2: Uh, it's 5 o'clock driving you home. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Travel with the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports radio uh, sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at PhillySportsTrips.com. That'd be a great business model. Philly Sports Trip just like sends me around the country to do shows, and then like people could come with us. We have a big crowd, stay in a hotel, do the show at the hotel bar. It's a Tuesday with Thompson. Pete Thompson is here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned is the PT? Well, he's got his Sixers shirt and hat on, so it seems like he's not giving up on this team, PT. But where is the concern right now? I'm not giving up on the team. I put it at an 8. I'm going to remove
12: my headphones. I'm going to remove this hat, okay? And I'm going to get on brand with the correct hat now because... That hat is no longer lucky. <laughs> I didn't wear that hat the game before, and I thought that uh, that was uh, had something to do with it. It didn't have a damn thing to do with it because I wore that hat last night, and they stunk. They absolutely stunk out the joint, and I am concerned.
2: Wow, what's the level? One to ten, PT. Give it to us. Solid eight and a half. Eight and a half is Baby the number. James Harden. You know, it's never maybe happened James before, Pete
12: Actually wake up and become young James Harden for a game, maybe.
2: It's never but happened if he before. This goose looks cooked. Never happened. 143 and zero. It has never happened, but you are at an eight and a half. Wouldn't it be
12: the ultimate Philadelphia thing for somebody who's finally gonna be the one to blow a three-o lead? Yep. Sixteen's gotta beat the ultimate- one at some point. Right? <laughs> Sometimes it's got to happen. You know? And I mean, it's crazy uh, just how this all has gone down. And I heard the opening year show. I thought I agree with you a thousand percent about that Joel Embiid's injury is creating him not fully able to be Joel Embiid. That has a lot to do with it. But but the bigger problem, other than Joel Embiid not being Joel Embiid, is that James Harden is not James Harden. I mean, that guy uh, is not getting it done. And, and his stat line looks reasonable it looks good until you sit there and think about the fact that well did he make anybody else around him any better you know i mean when you look at his stats you see 15 points and five or six from the line and seven assists you know you're like okay it's that, decent numbers and and i myself when things were going good early in the series was advocating for harden is better when he's a facilitator when he's a distributor of the basketball and at the same time, I, I almost I, – maybe I'm flip-flopping. I don't know. But the the to me, the measuring stick is, is Harden making the people around him better? Is he actually making everyone around him better? And I didn't think so last night because the Sixers off – how
2: many possessions did they go without a basket? That was brutal. Well, it's a 12-0 run to start the second quarter, and uh, never they never got back in the game. I mean, they just could not get – it, it was painful. I mean, look, I said it before. They shot an unsustainable percentage from three-point range for four games in a row. They were over 40%. And one of the four, they shot over 50%. They were bound to have a bad shooting night. Well, you had it last night. And I think a little bit of that had to do with the extra size and length that you got from Toronto with the return of Scotty Barnes. Also, now having Thaddeus Young back. He's another guy, six foot nine. They have more length and athleticism that they did not have earlier in this series. And unbelievable, you're right. I mean, the fact that Van Vliet was
12: out actually ended up helping toronto because then they could get bigger get more physical they have no sh- no uh, hesitation whatsoever where whereas before it maybe was a second or two before they would send the double team over to joel that double team is right on them right away trying to pressure him to move the basketball and of course the turnovers go up when that happens so it, it just I, I mean you know i, I gotta tell you uh, and you i heard you touch on this very early but I thought one of the more glaring outliers in last night's game was how poorly Matisse Theibel played. And here I was hoping that a return to South Philadelphia would bring a return to defense and hustle. And and, and Theibel was... Brutal. i
1: mean
12: he was brittle rivers basically you know the old uh vaudeville act where you get the hook out you pull the guy off the stage that's essentially what doc rivers had to do all right man you gotta get out
2: of there unplayable at this point he's a non-factor he's not playing in the game on thursday in uh, toronto and i can't go back to him in a game seven situation i mean come on he just, I mean, it, it, you, there's zero offense that comes out of him.
12: And, and, again, you had that that period of time where I know they were counting it up on the broadcast. That's nine trips without a basket. That's ten trips without a basket. I, I think it got to, like, 11. I think there was 11 possessions without an offensive basket from the Sixers, and, and even the scoring finally came maybe on a free throw or something like that. But, you know, this team's good when they're running their offense, and, and that's another thing, too. I mean, look, I'm not – I'm not Billy, okay? I'm not going to say this is Doc Rivers' fault. What I am going to say is, boy, you know, if the coach himself is telling you what plays are we running out there, and he said that in the previous game, and then last night you got a sense that they also weren't running an offense or a highly effective offense, I, I just think that it's, it's the nightmare scenario. And with each game, of course, Toronto gets more emboldened and emblazoned and uh, th- this is this is bad, man. I don't. There's no. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Let this me ask is you guys, bad.
2: Do you think? Do you think that if there was another team, any other fan base would be up three nothing, and then it was three to two? Do you think any other fan base would be at an eight? Mm,
12: gosh, maybe no. I don't. Maybe a New York fan base, like who who just lives in Brooklyn. But I don't. I, I don't. I don't know fan base that have seen more like, you know, I mean, you got the older generation that saw the Phillies collapse in 64, right? You've seen uh, like uh, my generation that saw, hey, the Flyers got to the Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, they're playing half the Russians and the Detroit Red Wings. They lost four nothing. But we got Lindros. Who cares? Doesn't matter. I mean, you, you just you add all these into your collective consciousness. Uh, and there's no other way to call it. They're, they're choke jobs. And, and and I did, I mentioned, Doc, I saw this uh, today when I was flipping through different things. Doc Rivers has now lost seven of his last eight opportunities to close out a series. His 31 such losses in those games are already the most by a coach in NBA history. So here I was praising him when he was on the list with Red Auerbach, and now I'm going to rep him because he's on this
2: list. Yeah, according to ESPN Stats and Info, the Raptors are only the 14th team all time to force the game six after being down 3-0. Looking ahead, only three times has it got to game seven. In all of those three games to none, it's one forty three and 0 Only three times has it got to game seven. That's pretty so, I mean, crazy. To me, to
12: me, it all begins and ends with James did, Harden. Did you in, hear in my opinion? Did don't you think? hear?
2: Did you hear Barkley last night? What did he say? He said they ain't winning in Toronto. That's what he said. Number one. Oh, but you can't give that. Up. So what? You just
12: don't even show up. I mean, you, oh, man, I don't know about. Yeah,
2: you know, that, uh, I'll play. I'll play the audio for you, Pete. Oh,
10: I'd love to hear it.
2: All right, I'll play you the audio. This was Charles Barkley last night with Shaq on uh, Inside the NBA. This was, uh, I guess, after whatever game was on TNT last night. This is what he had to say about um, this series moving forward. Take a listen.
8: Okay, it, It's an urgency
2: thing. It, it, anytime you get
8: a chance to close the game out, there's two types of closeout, one on the road and one at home. When you got a chance to close out at home, you better freaking do it. Because what's happening now, what I'm going to tell you, Shaq agrees with me, they're not going to win game six in Toronto. <laughs> but let me tell you something, by the time they get to game seven, them sphincters going to be so tight. because oh, The tell spinkers them, are back out. I'm tell- uh
12: kenny the jet goes the victors are back out that's right kenny they're out because charles knows philly better than anybody on a national stage and that's exactly how it's gonna be i, I have to agree with him he said know? they're
2: not winning that game in toronto that's that's period point blank that statement and when they come back look they've been in this situation before pt they had game seven on their floor last year and they lost that game
12: I mean, did you read uh what Rich did, Rich Hoffman did in the Athletic, where he, he took you back to what is it about game fives at home that give the in the playoffs that give the Sixers the whammy, you know, and he and he went back to the last time that they played a game five playoff game in Philly, they blew that twenty six point lead to the Atlanta Hawks en route to a shocking series defeat. Well, that doesn't seem like you know, that at the time you thought, Well, you blew the lead, but that's all right, we'll go get him in game six. Well then the gut punch game a couple days later, right now you think to you fast forward, and it's almost like déjà vu. Uh, the only difference is the numbers are on your side, only to further set up how long the inevitable might take. And I gotta tell you, eight and a half. Just talking to you, went up to a nine.
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, look, I said this yesterday, and I hate—I said I hate to say it—that thumb injury. I said sadly. That's it for me. That thumb injury, I have no... No hope at all that they can make a deep playoff run. Now, right. Even
12: if somehow they survived this series, yes. that thumb injury would prevent them from being able to make a deep run. I mean, you know, I'm not naive to the fact of how Boston is playing right now. It, it, even, that's not who they would play in the next round. But, but you know, you got teams out there working that uh, seem to be more together, more solid, and it, it just – Uh, I I thought the greatest thing you said the opening 20 minutes, and I was listening attentively, was that uh, you said, can you believe that one stupid rim in Toronto is going to be the downfall of not one Sixers series, but two? (laughs) Because a couple of years ago, the quadruple (laughs) doink, and now it's, you know, I'm sure they changed the rims out, but I see your point. You know, it's that rim where he dunked the ball and then screwed up his hand.
2: Yeah, same side uh sports bash live 97.3 espn uh text messages uh, are excuse are uh, welcomed um there's a lot here too but how about this all excuses be damned when is joel gonna man up in a tough playoff game and be the biggest and baddest guy on the court if you're the best the supposed mvp show it in the playoffs that's what a text message said now he did show it in the playoffs until he tore the ligament in his thumb. Now he's out there and he's playing, yeah, yeah had 22 points, 11. But I said it earlier, if, if he's not Joel Embiid scoring 35, not good enough. Sorry, dude. Well, and, and it's all, too,
12: about like, you know, think about like game two, right? Let's just take game two of the series. The Sixers rang up 95 points in game two in just three quarters of play. Last night, they only had 88 points the whole stinking game. How did they get 95 points in three quarters? They did it because they were pushing, 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 running that ball forward, up-tempo offense, scoring points in transition. They drove and kicked, you know, and then Joel Embiid was this beast that the texter is asking for. He's not going to be able to be the beast. And and unfortunately, I think, you know, and I heard you talk to Mark Jackson about this, and, and I agree that you know with this with the hand being the issue i think he's trying to do anything he can to not further injure injure that thumb and part of that says well i'll drift into the area but i'm not going to go play a low physical block game because that's just inviting them to whack away and hit my thumb and then i'll knock me out of the game completely well, oh, guess 15. what Pete, yeah, he got to get down
2: there. He wants no part of having to block a shot with that hand because he knows what it's going to feel like if he has to block that shot. He, he doesn't want to do it. And what you know, do you it's think, like a like- guy. It's like a guy who's not normally on like the punt block team, <laughs> or like blocking a field goal. You ever block a kick before? No, no, I can, but uh, I can give uh, the you the answer to the question. I
12: thought you were going to go for the baseball thing because we both played baseball, even though you were good and I stunk. But when you broke a bat, or when you when you played with a wood bat and you got
2: that ball, well, I'm not old enough to have ever played with a wood bat. But
12: what a uh, uh, pox on you! I played wood
2: bats man, they were, it went right down into your hands when that thing broke. No, but when, you, when it was cold hit? out and you got jammed, the sting on your hands like you mm-hmm. were not you were not very. You know, you did not want to get the bat, but I'm talking if you bl- were the guy who blocked a punt. I-, I once blocked a punt in a game before. And it was like, I don't ever want to do this again. Like the punt blocked <laughs> off your hands. I was like, this feels horrible. I don't want to block <laughs> a punt. But your teammates loved you, right? <laughs> Ask Mike McGarry. He covered that game. That's funny. Mike McGarry, well, I like to hear that. I had a block punt in, but I never wanted to block another punt again. Joel and B doesn't want to block another shot right now because he knows what that feel is going to feel like if he gets his hand on that oh, ball? Oh yeah, and we haven't even drifted into what's the dynamic between the top
12: two stars on the team. I was encouraged, even though they were losing the ball game. I was encouraged in Toronto when I saw Joel say, "Move over, Rook," and tell Maxie to move over. And he plopped down between Harden and Maxie, basically with the narrative and and. Harden did most of the talking, but basically the consensus was we're not coming back here. Like, let's make sure that this doesn't happen again. Well, what the hell happened between Toronto and South Philadelphia when you came out on that court last night? Did you have amnesia? Did you hit your head? Did well, I mean, uh, James Harden, by the way, and, and this quote, he needs to be aggressive. That's not really my job. That's probably on the coach to talk to him and tell him to take more shots, especially if they're going to guard me the way they've been. Joel Embiid about James Harden. Uh, and James Arden, by the way, seven for his last 22 from three and shooting just 37 percent in the series. Like everybody knows the problem is the beard. Now, what kind of flight is that going up to Toronto or what kind of discussions are happening? Are there? And, uh, you know, Doc's not going to talk to him. Like, is Joel going to say something to him? Like, hey, man, you're hanging me out here to try. I can't do it all myself.
2: Well, I think you saw a little bit of that last night. He tried to, like, so – he he tried to throw it out there. Like, that's the coach's job to tell him to be more aggressive. I've done what I can. That's his job. Four
12: for
2: 11 for Harden. I mean, that's just – <laughs> I, I I I agree.
12: Look, wasn't I, this guy the NBA's leading scorer at one point? I mean, didn't he? well, wasn't there? Nev- he can't blow by anybody anymore, right? But I ask you this: Why can't James Harden, if if Tobias Harris, who I wanted to run out of town on a rail, could incorporate catch and shoot? Why can't James Harden incorporate catch-and-shoot? Well, Where never if Tobias really... Harris can adapt his game, why can't James Harden, one of the 75th greatest NBA players of all time, get a mid-range
1: jumper?
2: You yeah. don't have to get to the cup, and you don't have to take here's the three. The, here's the, the misconception about Harden. One, he's never been a good shooter. He just is a will—like, he'll shoot seven threes and he'll make two. It's not a great percentage, but he'll— you know, he's he's got that step back. Well, the step back isn't as effective because he's not as quick and he's not a great shooter. So now he's mm-hmm. so he hasn't been aggressive. He's got more length on him now with Scotty Barnes back and Thad Young back and Siakam. You got guys six nine on him, so he's got more length on him. So and look, he's not the same player. Leo Routens was on with us earlier, okay? You remember Leo used to play for the Sixers? Oh, right. He does the Raptors uh, pre- and post-game stuff. And he said he's a step slow, he's not as confident as he used to be, and physically he's not the same player. That's what he says he sees. <laughs> well, let's get him to St. Uh, Augustine, Florida, uh, to
12: Ponce de Leon, and the Fountain of Youth. And we'll give him a little bit of youthful injection before this Game 6 because that's the only way. Yeah. Well, the they got to end it. They the only youthful
2: injection he's getting is at the Toronto Gentlemen's Club. All right? <laughs> hey, now. Because I heard those are nice. Because, unfortunately <laughs> for James Harden, the fountain of youth comes in the off season, and he's not too interested in spending a lot of time in, you know, he's taking the same path that you and I have in the offseason, sitting on our <laughs> fat asses
12: yeah that's true and I'm on the seafood diet I see food and I eat it that's yeah. correct well, I mean guess
2: what James Harden I t- and I had this discussion with Josh earlier he's 32 years old and in our mind he's still the 27 but he's not he's the 32 version and that's a right. different version than the guy that was 27 28 29
12: yeah it's uh, I don't see a lot of answers here uh, and uh, I think you know obviously all the momentum to be is in Toronto's court and in their side and Unless you get some, you know, I mean, the other flip side would be if you said like Joel went off for one of his Joel nights. Like if Joel finished with like 43 and and 10 or something like that, or 43 and 15 rebounds and, you know, a couple assists or something like that. But I don't think Joel can do that right now with the thumb situation. So you, you you're in an either or situation. You either get a great game out of Harden because he's hurt all the the grief and he's going to you know rally up one more time and say I can still do this. And, and I thought what you just said too about the step back three is probably the most telling. Like. Uh, thing that everybody sees out there which is the step back three was a lethal weapon when they thought that he was going to blow by them so he acted like he was going to blow by him and then did the step back move and got his three off ain't nobody afraid that he's going to blow by him anymore Ever. And then you, you factor in on the defensive end that now, you know, I mean, at least they were trying to get him. And I think I heard you say this earlier in the show, too. They were trying to switch him onto Van Vliet. So at least they would be matched up size to size. There's no favorable matchup anymore for James Harden to go up against. There's
2: no like, oh, well, let's just pick on this guy. This will work. Yeah, doesn't exist. Um, look, I, I feel like I'm at a four and a half. OK, that's my eight and a half for me. Yeah, I I I, I said you would. I thought you'd be a ten, but you know. <laughs> no, no. I got to leave a little wiggle room. <laughs> I'm about four and a half. I had Sixers in six. Some of this is surprising. Some of it's not. I I thought that they Sixers to win in six. I thought they'd win the first two at home, lose the next two in Toronto, and then win in Philly and then close it out in six. So it's taken a little different path. I still think they'll figure out a way to win this game on. Thursday. and is Ed, is Ed Malloy going to be the official again? I don't know who the official is. I don't look at those things. But I know. I'm just throwing that out Here's there. the thing. There's less pressure on them to try to win a game in Toronto because they don't want to come back and feel what it's going to be like in that place trying to win a game seven in this joint.
12: Oh, I agree with that a bajillion percent. Yeah, where do I hit the uh, wholeheartedly agree button? Absolutely, I agree with that. You know, and and they know that going up there. But I, I still feel like, you know, when you, when you get to three, you're supposed to be the team in control of the series, right? But the hardest win to get is that fourth win, and they're proving that time and time again.
2: Yeah, and the fourth win... Um... You know, I asked Mark Jackson if he thinks leadership's a problem. He says no. He thinks that, you know, Joel Embiid is a, is a leader. And, and yet I, I don't know that that's proven yet. I don't know that I agree with that yet.
12: Well, let's see what happens in this uh, on the plane ride or in the shoot around. Or, you know, what what conversations are we not privy to, Mike Gill? You know, that's, you know, and and quite frankly, you know, and they've had some slow starts throughout the entire series Uh you know, let's see. Let's see them uh, come out with like their hairs on fire. I'd love to see that too.
2: Well, and this is my concern. My concerns are this: you shot over forty percent four games in a row from three, and the last game you shot twenty seven. You were bound to start to go cold. And if you're only shooting regular average from three, is that going to be good enough? Right. I, I don't know if it is. And,
12: you know, the only thing that you could control, like a, any good basketball coach would tell you, is your defensive effort as well. If your shots aren't falling, then you damn well better play tight defense. And I, I don't know that the Sixers are built, as a, especially if it's not 100 percent Joel Embiid. When Joel Embiid's 100 percent, I think that defensively they can actually ratchet it up.
2: But. PT, I said this at the beginning. I'll say it again. If Joel beats Thumb is 100%, we're not have, I don't think we're having this conversation. I think the series is over.
12: Yeah, I would agree with that, too.
2: That Thumb, like it or not, it's not an excuse, but it is the, it's the reason. It's the reason why he's out there playing. Leo Routon right. said, if you're out there playing, there is no excuse. But he's out there playing, and he's not the same guy, and that's evident. Yeah, and it's a damn shame. Yeah. Well, Philly's won last night. They did, you know, put up a lot
12: of runs. And uh, Didi Gregorius is back tonight, I saw. Yep. So we'll see if they can make it two in a row. Although I was pissed off early because, of course, the Rockies, I mean, the very first pitch
2: of the game, the guy went deep. Joe took him. Yeah, they were 2 nothing, a couple deep homers. Hey, how about this Uh, draft parties on Thursday? How about some quick draft news? Uh, According to Ann Rappaport, the Eagles are the most notable team right now making calls about moving up. Yeah, I thought I saw
12: something, too, about now they're actively shopping Rager, I guess, if, as if they weren't already doing it. But now the, if the media is getting wind of it, then they're, they're, they're feeding some of their appropriate sources, too, right? Trying to get rid of Rager and bring somebody. Don't they want the uh, Alabama receiver, the guy that his ACL? Isn't that what they're talking about?
2: Well, you know, you hear all this stuff this week. It's, it's the smokescreen week. You got to try to make sense of what makes sense and what doesn't.
12: Well, what I want to hear before you say uh, goodbye, PT, is uh, h- how you handle handling Thursday. I've been dying to know ever since the game ended last night.
2: What are you talking about? I'm talking about that there's an NFL drought and oh, a Sixers
12: oh. game at the same time.
2: Yes, the, the Sixers game. <laughs> I'm talking about your nightmare come true. I know. I know. Well, I was prepared for it. I, I was hoping it didn't happen. The Sixers game will be airing on our sister station, Rock 104. One oh four one. Oh, and nice. The draft will be over here on 97.3. Okay. Um, All right. There are some, you know, contractual reasons why that, you know. Like right. Sure, sure. Yeah. I being mean, being an ESPN affiliate, we cannot air ESPN programming on another station, so we had to yeah. pick. So it wasn't like we chose one over the other. It was more contractually obligated.
12: Hey man, I listen to that one oh four one in the mornings. Free beer and hot wings. Sometimes I'll tell you what it's it's not a bad little place to visit. So and it's FM. So if anybody out there's you know complaining yeah, or oh I can't believe you're gonna move this it's it's a it's a nice strong station. Yeah, it's all right. Sixers one hundred
2: four one. Draft 97.3. The Sixers start at seven. See, there was some talk. That because the Sixers start at seven, the draft doesn't start till eight. By the time the Sixers pick, the Eagles pick. By the time the Eagles pick, the last year from my research, the fifth. Ooh, you really did this. Ooh. The fifteenth pick was made about ten twenty-five last year. Wow, the game probably would be over. The game would be over. So yeah. theoretically, we could have gone from Sixers and then picked up the draft in progress. The problem is, what if the Eagles make a trade up? That's true, and you missed that. Or, yeah, you know, plus you'd hate to be the,
12: you know, oh, did you hear about that ESPN affiliate leg Atlantic City that lost their affiliation
2: because they didn't hear the draft? <laughs> Whoops. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, the Eagles football is very popular, if you didn't know, so people are interested in both. So we have a way to get both on and not have to miss any of them. You just got to uh, go to our sister station for a little bit. Well, I will work it, uh, my hardest at getting that
12: news out. And I'm going to be with you at Slack Tide, too, by the way. I'm coming down there. I, I may not be there at the start of the show because, you know, I got some afternoon obligations, but I'll get there when I can get there. And don't worry, I'll be there to see who gets the that, a nap? perfect trip. And, you know, I'll be there in time. Was that a nap? What, afternoon obligations? <laughs> <laughs> How rude. No, it's not a nap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Peter. All right, Michael. It was fun, even yeah. though our Sixers team stinks.
2: Well, Thursday night we'll be talking, uh, previewing Sixers and the Raptors, and uh, the NFL Draft will be live at Slactide Brewery in Cape May Courthouse, 2-6 to six for the uh, Eagles draft party. Someone's going to win an Eagles road trip, Peter. How about that? Looking forward to it. All right, see you. See you, buddy. Uh, that's a Tuesday with Thompson in the Books brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now and create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at Spirit.com. 5.27 on your Tuesday. Many uh, people wondering, how do we get to this spot with the Sixers? I got all your texts all day that I'll get a chance to react to on the other side to close out tonight's show. Josh has game night tonight with Kevin McCormick. He was there last night. Love to hear what he thinks about the atmosphere in that building. Jeez. All right, more Sports Bash on the way.
4: Now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: On 97.3 ESPN. Right, 533 on a Tuesday. Your confidence level is where? Scale of 1 to 10, you let me know. 609. PT says, oh man, 8.5 level of concern out of 10. What is your level of concern? We should change the song up and go to a little emergency on level three. Emergency! Doc Rivers' playoff resume, 3 1 series, not good. Not good at all. Lost three times in this spot. I mean, there's reasons why. They had a lot of injuries. Got Joel Embiid injury, right? Got the Joel Embiid injury this time. I think that could be a big factor. Raptors have to win two. No, this is a Raptors team. I was listening to McGinnis last night. I was in the car for uh, some of the game. And I heard McGinnis say that the Raptors are a team that had won. They had winning streaks this year multiple times of over four games they had like an 8 game winning streak, a 6 game winning streak, I think they had a 5 game winning streak. Um so they are capable of winning a bunch of games in a row, getting hot and making this thing happen, you know what I mean? There's a team that has done it before. And I think there's a Raptors team like they think of themselves as like an underdog. Nobody takes us seriously, almost know, similar like the Eagles. You know? No one takes us seriously. So they have a winning streak of one, two, three, four, five games. They had another streak of one, two, three, four, five, six games. They had another winning streak of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. They had another one of one, two, three, four, five. Another one of one, two, three, four, five. So they have three five gamers, a six game, and an eight gamer. This is a team that's piled up some wins in a row. Level of concern, 609-403-0973. Matt, Cape May Courthouse says, Mike, they seem like they airballed five three-pointers last night. If they can shoot 40% again like they did the first three games, they'll win, and they have two games to do it, just got to loosen the sphincters. <laughs> Charles Barkley quote there. Um, if they can shoot 40% again, that's not easy, Matt. Cape May Courthouse, appreciate your text. It's not easy not easy to hit 40% from three. Who hits 40% from three as a team? I don't think anybody. Sixers did it four times in a row. You don't shoot 40% from three as a team four times in a row. Now you're just saying, eh, if they casually can do it one more time. eh." They lost a game when they shot 40% from three. So they're going to need to do more than that. What else we got? TechSport was uh, on fire today. Uh, all the excuses be damned when it's Joel going to man up. Oh, I read that one a little earlier. That one just came in. Uh, Cole from LBI. Uh, this is a draft question. I checked out the Inside the Birds mock draft, and I got to say I hope DeCecco's right about Thibodeau and Jamison Williams. Those are my favorite players in the draft, and DeCecco the took them before my Jets could get them. Jameson seems to have had the biggest jump across all mock drafts this past month. Thibodeau's going to be interesting, Cole. He- he's going to be the name to kind of keep an eye on on draft night because of his uh, – Talent mixed in with his questionable desire by some organizations, I guess.
3: I was talking with Eric Edholm about this last night, and he was explaining to me that there are some NFL teams that they were not thrilled with how Thibodeau presented himself in their team meetings at the Combine. And that, you know, Eric was saying, because he said, look, Some teams, they love a guy who comes in there and he's like, I'm great. I'm going to be the best ever. And some other teams, they want a guy to be more humble and be like, I'm going to come in and learn. So, you know, it's starting to sound like that Thibodeau is more of like, what is your cup of tea kind of guy than anything else?
2: Well, you know, there's always a guy that has some story. And he's falling, he's moving up, he's falling down, draft boards. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. If someone on draft night, where you know, oh, there's your surprise. He goes number two because mm-hmm. a while back, I think, when we started this process, you could have made a com- you, you could have made a um, you could have made it um, an argument that he was the the number
3: one guy. Well, he was originally supposed to be the number one guy. The the theory was coming into this season was that he would be the guy because one, it was a weaker quarterback class, and two. He was like a five-star recruit coming out of high school. It was a huge deal when Mario Cristobal, who's no longer at Oregon, by the way, was at Oregon and got this guy to come there. It was like, you know, it it was such a huge deal. I mean, I was even hearing people when he was a freshman saying, you better watch out for this Thibodeau kid, you know. And then I think that the NIL stuff, this is the first guy the NIL stuff is going to negatively affect because – He's a guy who took full advantage of NIL, got the name, image, and likeness deals, had a podcast, did all this stuff with Nike, because Nike's already at Oregon, right? And he went and took advantage of the situation, which I don't blame him for, but for some people, they just didn't like how he went about it. Which, listen, J.J. Watt wasn't a number one overall pick, right? And he's still going to the Hall of Fame one day, so, you know... I'm not saying Thibodeau's J.J. Watt, but I'm saying he has that caliber of potential to be a defensive player of the year kind of guy. We'll see if he lives up to it or not.
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people um, don't care about—everybody has their thing. Everybody has their bag, right? Right. You know, I'm—like, you know, we don't get a chance to talk to these guys, obviously. I feel that you can get a vibe. You can get—like, to me, I feel like I can read people pretty well. And it be it's amazing to me that these NFL teams do this level of research on these guys and get get like
3: turned off by an interview. No,
2: get the um like the personality part of it wrong.
3: Oh, okay, gotcha.
2: You know, like I feel like I like. <laughs> There are many times, you know, where I can meet somebody at one time and, like, we hire somebody. I'd mean, like, they ain't making it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand who interviewed this person and thought this person was going to be successful. I think my success rate on that is, like, 99%. I might have been wrong on, like, one person where I'm like, hey, I think this person might be pretty good. And you're like, hey, whatever happened to that guy or girl? You know, like, I think I can read people pretty well. Yeah. For these NFL teams not to be able to, to like, like, I feel like I could figure out whether you love playing or that you don't love playing or mm-hmm. that you have other agendas. And I, It's amazing to me. Like Johnny Manziel, I knew. I never met the guy. Nothing. I knew he was failing. Right. There was just no way that guy in my mind was making it.
3: Was it was written all over him,
2: right? Yeah. I don't know. Thibodeau, I don't know enough about. He, I mean, he played way out west. You didn't, we didn't see him in the media all that much. So I don't know. I mean, there's a possibility that he doesn't love playing. I don't know.
3: I think that stuff is a little overrated, though, because at the end of the day, it's one thing if your defensive end is not in the film room for 12 hours compared to your quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, people are acting like this is like you just mentioned Johnny Manziel, he was not having a good time all the time. It's like. No, he, he's a guy who took advantage of a situation. And who cares if he walked into the meeting room being like, I'm going to be the greatest. Like, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Go, mm-hmm. go think you're the greatest. Maybe you'll work harder.
2: Yeah. Well, I think uh, the draft is going to be very interesting, as Mosher said. We don't even know who's going to be the first pick.
3: And that's the best part of the whole thing. That's the thing that gives me like, – I was, I was having a conversation with my dad today, and that was, you know, when you have the NFL draft – there's all of this speculation we've talked about, Mike, about like, well, this team's saying this, this team's saying that. But then you actually get into it, and you find out, well, that was a lie, and that was made up. Well, and this is
2: the week, though, too.
3: Yeah. Of so,
2: what is going to be, you know, what is going to be the smoke screens?
3: And listen, for all we know, it, it could be 8 o'clock, and Roger Goodell gets up there and says, you know, all right, Jaguars are on the clock. And then the Jags pick someone that nobody expects. Yeah,
2: well, I'll tell you what. I, if I'm Jacksonville, I'm trading out of that pick.
3: But can you get proper compensation? Well, that's a fair question.
2: I, I don't know. I don't know what the compensation is. I don't know what they're offering. I don't know what's coming in, what's coming out. But I'm trying my damnedest to get out of that spot. Gotcha. Because I already have my quarterback. If you believe in the quarterback, there's no need for you to stick in that spot. There's not a player that screams I'm the number one player. So don't reach for a player. If you don't love one, get out of there. Let someone else make the pick.
3: We know how much Doug Peterson loves his quarterbacks. Well, he's already got one. That's what I mean. He's got the quarterback. He's like, I got my quarterback. I'm good to go.
2: Yeah, he doesn't need to stick to, to sit there.
3: <laughs> Does Doug Peterson convince them to go offensive and defensive line for three rounds? <laughs> um, he could. I mean,
2: it's not bad. It's nothing. There's no reason why they shouldn't listen to him.
3: Doug turds the. Uh, by the way, really quick, the other thing I heard. So apparently, there's speculation out there that the owner wants one guy. And bulky, once another guy. Yeah, that's guy. another great story. So I'm—I can't wait to hear the story about who—who who came through in the draft room. Uh,
2: we'll read off these last uh, texts that are coming in this hour. We got a lot of texts today. That I just—they're all over the place. I, I just haven't had a chance. I did see my tweet earlier today. I said I can't wait to see the text board today. And uh, <laughs> it's not disappointed. It is not <laughs> disappointing. I'll read off as many as I can when we come back. Sports ninety-seven 97.3 ESPN.
4: Now.
1: On 97.3 ESPN.
2: Mike Gill with you, 10 till the top of the hour. Here on the Sports Patch Live, 97.3 ESPN. What do we got tonight? We've got uh, Pelicans and Suns. Suns are in trouble.
3: Suns are in trouble, and I'm curious to see you, know, you talked about earlier about adjustments do they make adjustments
2: everybody Stan Van Gundy's tweet today I think was a very good one in what I try to talk about people act like I say the coach has 0% accountability I don't I never said zero I'm an 80 20 guy mm-hmm. 80% I give blame to the players 20% I'll go to the coaches if they're not prepared you got to be prepared you got to make adjustments like Where the coach has a role to me is if he's egregiously playing a wrong lineup. I thought Doc Rivers played a terrible, the five guys that started the second quarter last
3: night. Mm -hmm. What the hell was that? I don't understand. I'm going to rephrase a question I've asked you before. You know, because it goes back to the whole Paul Reed conversation we had with Basti and all those guys. Who's the guy on his staff that's saying, yeah, Doc, do this or do that? Like, I would love to know who who's the enabler on Doc's staff for the weird decisions that he makes sometimes.
2: I don't know. I don't know how these they go down. I don't know how these conversations go. Because,
3: like, how many times have we talked about how great Doc Rivers' coaching staff You know, Dan Burke and uh, uh, Dave, Jura, Dave, uh, Dave Yeager and Sam Cassell. It's like, he's got this great coaching staff, and it's like, you're telling me that of all of these guys who have been around the league for as long as they have, have had all the success that they have, that he's just, like, ignoring all of them or they're all wrong? Like, I just have trouble processing
2: them. This was Stan Van Gundy's tweet today. Just because you don't recognize the adjustments the NBA coach you are criticizing is making doesn't mean he isn't making any adjustments. And sometimes, no matter how many adjustments a coach makes, it doesn't change the result because the other team is just better. Now, the answer to this would be the, the, the Raptors aren't better. Right. But his point is, just because you don't see the adjustment doesn't mean he isn't making adjustments.
3: And I understand that, and I agree with that. I just think that... I think there's more that there's more that needs to be un, unwound. You know, more layers pulled off the onion before I before I sit there and throw the gauntlet down on some of these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I understand the re- the average fan out there is screaming. You know, the the coach sucks and everything. But to me, I just feel like from being around athletes and coaches enough. I've observed people, you will crowdsource information and talk to people. And I just don't understand how you get from that point to this is what we're doing. Like, you're telling me that nobody on your staff was like, hey, Doc, come
2: on. Uh, a couple text messages. Mike, reason to be scared. Coach with a history of choking more than any coach in history. And B, with a history of coming up short in the playoffs, namely the fourth quarter. Hard with a history of playoff choking as well. well all those three are fine.
3: I'm, nah, not gonna, it's, I'm not going to argue with them. It's a flimsy Jordan narrative. Joel Embiid needs but. to have...
2: He had that three-pointer. We asked, is that his jumping-off point? Is that his moment? He's going backwards.
3: Now, well, is he going backwards because of... He's going backwards because he has a hand injury.
2: What did Leo Routon say? You're out there. Mm-hmm. You're out there. I got to judge you. I get it. You're hurt. But where's his moment? Where is he... Hey, I was playing hurt, and I led our team to victory. Right. Not... Hey, we lost because I was hurt. As much as we all love Embiid, and I love Embiid, I'd say I'd lose 72 games again to get Joel Embiid. I have no problem processing right back down the road if you told me i get Joel Embiid again for another 10 years. But he has no moment. He has come up small in playoffs. I have no problem
3: saying that. And I, for me, it goes back to what I said a few hours ago with you, Mike, which is... You have all these players and all this talent, but yet you're so stupid that you commit some of these dumb turnovers. Well. And it wasn't just when Embiid had the injured hand. There's been a history of dumb turnovers with this organization. Well, the other
2: point the guy made in the text message is Harden. Harden has had no playoff moment. I mean, he's had no. games. Yes, he has had games. I'm not but saying No, he much. hasn't
3: had a moment. You're correct.
2: He has been to a Western Conference Finals. Correct. he his next moment is, I need to get my team to the finals and win one. Otherwise, you'll always be a great scorer who came up small. Yeah. And by the way, fizzled out before your prime was over.
3: That definitely fizzled out.
2: And as for Doc Rivers, <laughs> you don't want to go down the road of being the first coach to ever lose four down, four games to none after you've already lost three, three games to one. Speakers Unbelievable. tightening. Uh, Kevin McCormick tonight at 620 was there last night. Ask him what it was like in that building. What was the atmosphere like at the end of that game? Not even at the end. They were out all game. They were never in that game last night. It started with that 12-0 run. They never got back in. I'm back tomorrow. Have a great night. Tim Legler's on tomorrow's show